Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Hey everybody, Robert Evans here, and I wanted to let you know this is a compilation episode. So every episode of the week that just happened uh, is here in one convenient and with somewhat less ads package for you to listen to in a long stretch if you want. Uh, if you've been listening to the episodes every day this week, there's going to be nothing new here for you, but you can make your own decisions. And then the Welcome to It Could Happen Here, a podcast that is today about something that did happen here and absolutely sucked. And uh, with me to talk about the Atlanta shooting is Garrison. Hello. Hi. Not happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, this is this is not a... We're not talking about a current event. This happened, like, what was it, last year? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Had, if, if, in case someone's listening and wondering if there was another one. No, we're, no, we're, this we're, is, we're specifically this is talking last... about... Actually, there there have been a couple of shootings in Atlanta since then. Yeah, ov- but, obviously there. Ha- yes, yeah, but we're talking like the specific shootings, thing but, we're we're talking about yeah. is is uh is uh from from last year, and it ties into many of the topics we discuss on yep. the show. Yep. On March sixteenth, two thousand twenty-one, Robert Aaron Long, a regular at Young's Asian Massage, refused to tip after getting a massage. Xiao Jietan, the spa's owner, confronted him about the tip. 
Long simply walked away. He got dressed, went to the bathroom, pulled out his gun, and started shooting, leaving Xiaojie Tan dying on the floor. Driving from spa to spa, Long shot nine people and killed eight. The lone wounded survivor, Alicia Hernandez Ortiz, got on his knees and begged Long not to shoot. Long shot him anyways. There's a, there's a tendency when confronted with true horror to retreat into abstraction, as if the abstract is shelter from the violence of the storm. I intend, if briefly, to do it myself. But there is no safety there, only the same violence repeated again and again and again, in a thousand ways, with a thousand names, wearing a thousand faces. Because this is hell, and we live in it. So, on, on to the abstract. There, there's a concept in Marxism called Traeger. Um, it, it's a German word. It's usually translated as bearer, in the sense of an individual capitalist being the bearer of capitalist social relations. They enact this relation by you know, turning capital into more capital, which is what makes them a capitalist. Uh, there is, you know, literally endless debate over what this actually means. Most of it is pointless, and the meaning is contested enough that I'm going to abuse it a bit further and argue that a person can become a bearer of historical forces larger than themselves. Robert Aaron Long was the bearer of a great number of historical forces. He bore the violence of capitalism, of misogyny, of racism, of horophobia, of whiteness, of Christianity itself. And he unleashed it into the world. It's just like the idea of like invoking, right? D drawing on these external ideas into yourself and then becoming them for like a brief period of time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's slightly different in that with bearing, it's it's not so much that that you're briefly invoking them; it's that you're you're constantly a part of the relation. So the the, the, the okay. relation defines you, and it it it, and you you sort of you constantly enact it by the things that you do, and in, so in doing so, like you make the relation real it's more of like an ever-present thing that is yeah yeah it's 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 yeah it's something that just sort of structures how the society works right like we're all sort of like enacting the wage relation right every time we like yeah, do yeah. it like you know like doing this right now by doing our are, jobs yes. yeah we are we are enacting the wage relation okay got it yeah and uh, you know I, th I think i think a lot of people after the shooting were left asking you know why and you know, we, we can name social and historical forces, we can talk about sort of anti-Asian violence and racism and horophobia, but what does it actually mean? And, you know, what, what are the forces that long unleashed into this world? What do they look like? And I think, I think we, have, we have a good example of this from right after Long was arrested. Uh, Police Captain Jay Baker of the Cherokee Sheriff's Department uh, said this to reporters at a press conference. This is about uh, Long and the shooting. He was pretty much fed up and at the end of his rope, and yesterday was a really bad day for him, and this is what he did. He apparently has an issue, what he considers a sex addiction, and he sees these locations as something that allow him to go to these places, and it's a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate. Now, yeah, th there, there is a lot going on in, 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 in those, like, two sentences. Um, also, you know... Ch Cherokee Sheriff's Department. Oh yeah, there is, there is so much going like right. There's yeah, so many, so many, so many layers to this. Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, one of the things that we're going to go more into next episode is that like this, this is where I, uh, uh, what's his name? Th this is where the guy who just like drew a random line on a map that he found from like that he pulled out of his like 
National Geographic thing who divided Korea in half. Like this is where he's from. Okay. Uh, there's this is yeah. There is a there is a lot of historical violence in this very specific part of Georgia <laughs> that is, that is all coming together here. And oh yeah, uh, his school is also super racist. Like there's they they had a mascot that was like doing all oh, the I'm racist sure. stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, and you know, and before we go any further, it's worth mentioning that like almost immediately after uh, the, the 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 honorable police captain gave that press conference, uh, a bunch of people on the internet found out that Baker had posted a, like a shirt that said uh, "COVID nineteen imported virus from China." I I I I remember this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the sheriff was uh, uh, pretty pretty racist himself. And, yeah, uh, a part of many many anti-Asian tropes relating to conspiracy theories. Yeah, this is, you know, this, this, is, this is classic 2020s, like, anti-Asian rhetoric. It's, you know, it's stuff that's led directly to hundreds of attacks on Asian Americans since the start of the pandemic. And, you know, the racist onslaught driven by every sector of American society. Now, pe- people immediately start speculating that uh, Jay Baker had collaborated with Long to cover up the racial, like, motivation for his violence. And... Okay, I, I think there's some truth to this. Uh, the cops have been collaborating with Long and his family in various ways. I'm going to read a part of an article in Vanity Fair written by the journalist Mei Jong called How the Atlanta Spa Shooting, the Victims, the Survivors, Tell a Story of America, which is, it's, it, this is one of the best things that anyone's written about the shooting so far. I'm going to read a little bit of it because it's, oh boy. I rang the bell at the family home. No one answered. Before I could decide what to do, a police cruiser showed up. An officer who introduced himself as Sergeant Clement explained that the neighbors, multiple people, had called to report suspicious activity. The one good thing about Cherokee County, he told me, is that we look out for each other. It's like how it used to be in the 70s. I asked Clement what specifically the neighbors were worried about. To be honest, he said, what they are worried about is they are afraid of revenge. What is the context for the, like, revenge line? Yeah, I mean, it was basically just they—they they were really like, they were terrified that like Asian people were going to show up like to this community and take revenge for the shooting. They thought they were gonna, like attack like the church or something. Well, no, like like they thought they were gonna like show up to like the family's house and like attack the neighborhood. Ah, when, yeah. When is when when has that ever happened? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and I mean, and, you know, and, and you can like. What what this demonstrates a is just the kind of community you're dealing with here, and b also like you just you have very obvious close connection between the cops and like Long's family at this point. Yeah, and I mean in terms of like the covering up, the the covering up of like the anti Asian violence part of it. Honestly, I don't even know how intentional that would be because I don't think he even recognizes that as racism. I, I I'm not sure how much the cops recognize that as a super big part since that they are already uh pretty pretty racist against against well, I mean, asian people okay like, like I, I i don't even know how much they recognize that as being like a thing that isn't normal yeah but i but i think also like i don't know it the 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 explicitness to which particularly baker is being racist like makes me suspect that he do, that he he would have been able to figure it out because he's like like you have to go out of your way to like have a shirt that says like COVID imported from China, like yeah, but uh, I, mean, I don't I, think that he would consider that racist, right? Like it's so it's so racist that 
but but he can't even consider that. He just think it's just like normal, right? Like he that's possible. Yeah, I, I can see right? that. Like, so like in, in terms of like them trying to cover up any kind of anti Asian um stuff leading towards the shooting, they may not see that as like as anything to be covered up because they think that's just normal. So they're not gonna like even focus on it because they're like, yeah, I mean, obviously. Right, like yeah, it's, it's I, I just, can buy that. We're so far down the rabbit hole that yeah. it's hard to even like recognize it. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm just. Simple. No, it, 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 it makes of, it makes stream sense. Of consciousness. And I, I think also the, the other thing that's going on here that that's, I think the other part of why they wouldn't have recognized it if they didn't is that like, okay, so like like most people see this and they're you know they, they kind of like analytically they kind of throw up their hands they're like well this is anti-asian violence they talk about like the stuff the particular dangers faced by like asian women and sex workers and they just sort of call it a day their analysis sort of like stops there and like they're right like this is anti-asian violence the violence is primarily inflicted on women and it particularly on sex workers or and i mean this is also very important uh people who are perceived as sex workers no matter what they actually do yep and yeah like it's gotten worse since the pandemic but there's a very, very specific kind of violence that Long is doing here. It is, it, and it, it's not, it's related to, but not identical to the the sort of post-COVID stuff. And I think people really, like, did a disservice to what happened and did a disservice to helping people understand it by not actually poking at it. Because this shooting is at its core an evangelical shooting. Like this is this is this is evangelical violence. This is Christian violence, and this is this yeah. is purity culture. Yes. And you know, if 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 you want to understand what actually happened here, you have to actually you have to go back and you have to understand the Christianity angle, because it is critical. Now, East Asia's contact with Christianity in the last two hundred years has been, broadly speaking, extremely bleak. Uh, the conclusion of the first opium war in 1842, which Britain forced China to buy opium to cover Britain's trade deficit with the country, and then they, Britain also stole Hong Kong. And then allowed, yeah, it also had the effect of allowing Christian missionaries into the country. And it, it is genuinely unclear which one of those acts has the highest body count. Uh, the, the product of the Christian missionaries' work was the Taiping Rebellion, in which the self-proclaimed brother of Jesus Christ waged a failed war against the ruling Qing dynasty that, like, even if, even if you use, like, the lower estimates of the body count, that war makes World War I look like a minor border skirmish. It is a just incredibly devastating war and you know the, the product of this is there's there's famines there's also just a bunch of floods that happen at the same time and this sends an enormous number of immigrants and refugees fleeing from their homes looking for any way to survive and a lot of those people find their way to the u.s and they get imported by american capitalists who are you know looking for a new labor force to serve as like a racial racial buffer between right black workers after the, the civil war and the other thing is like it's really hard to get to the west coast in the 1800s like, they don't have the Panama Canal. You have to go over land, and it sucks, and it's hard. And so they need a labor force that they can just get to the West Coast. And it's literally easier for people to come from China. And, you know, and so they do. And it, it, is, a, it is a brutal existence. Chinese workers are worked to death building the railroads. And they, you know, they, they struggle to carve out a life for themselves. And they do, haltingly, in leaps and spurts. But they create communities. They build towns and temples and cultures in the beginning of a new society. And uh, that's when the white working class decides they want to exterminate them. Because this is a, this is a great country. Uh, yeah, white workers you know, immediately start blaming Chinese workers for the low wages. And they use their workers' organizations to ethnically cleanse the West. 
the the result of this is a series of massacres that goes on literally for decades, stretching like into the night. Like this, 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 these things start in like the eighteen seventies, and they're still going in like the nineteen, like like in the in the like, like the early nineteen hundreds. Um, and and it's at this point where Christianity gets involved. Um, I, th- I think like most people who are listening to the show have probably heard at least in passing of the Chinese Exclusion Act. Is the sort of like the great triumph of like the dark alliance of racists and the white working class. But I, wh- what I think is less known about is the Page Act of 1875, which banned quote lewd and immoral women from entering the United States. And this is this is like this is directly targeted at Asian and Chinese women um, who were seen as a threat to the sort of racial and moral character of like the white Christian American nation because of like their supposed like inherent immorality demonstrated by the popular. Excuse me. Demonstrated by the popular image of all Chinese women as sex workers. And, you know, I, I think, like, looking back on this, this is extremely recognizable. This, this is literally just an anti-trafficking panic. Like, this whole thing is just, it's the, like, this, 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 this is like, this is like proto, this is like proto-Q shit. Um, and, you know, and, and like, it, it, like there, there is, there is legitimately, like, sex trafficking going on. But the existence of, like, like the fact that there is sex trafficking gets used as this sort of like political and racial image that gets projected onto just like all Asian women who get portrayed as, as trafficking victims and you just simultaneously be like saved, but then also expelled from the US to preserve both their and the US's purity. And, you know, like th- th- this image of Asian women has literally never changed. You-, you will find it today, like to this day, people find people using like the exact same racist projections, like consciously or unconsciously to talk about Asian immigrants and like particularly spa workers. It's it's this like it's it's this like incredibly toxic mix of like Christian moralism, sexism, horophobia, and racism. And the racism element is really important because like, okay, while this is going on, like prostitution is legal in California. Like you could just do this. Like there's there's no law against it. Um, you know, and so and so you'd think that like oh hey there you know the, the sort of like Christian panic would just be targeted against brothels. But like no, it's it's like very specifically against Asian women, and it's you know this is because. All of the sort of like the, the Christian fears about sex work is, you know, and, and their horophobia is, and and still is today, incredibly deeply fused with this sort of like, that this this like incredibly racist like concern over the purity of the race. Uh huh. Yeah. And yeah, you know, th- this this will sound familiar to anyone who's been like paying attention at all to any of the trafficking panics, any of the anti-trans stuff, any of just. I mean, it- interracial dating was only extremely recently allowed at all of like the biggest christian universities yeah like <laughs> like they have like they uh yeah not a it is it's a it's a thing it's uh yeah and it's and, that's, and like the thing about it like, it's it's really it's it's really close to the surface right even even when they're not explicitly just saying it like if you look yeah. you spend about two seconds looking it's like oh this is what's going on here, huh? Yeah, yeah, and you know, so so th- th- that that's sort of that's sort of one side of of this uh, whole thing, right? Is you have this sort of like you have this sort of like Christian like anti trafficking panic that that creates the, that like you know it creates this sort of image of what Asian women are. It has a lot of effects, but the other side of this coin is that there is a just incredible amount of sexual violence that America has inflicted on Asian women. Like particularly through its wars, successive invasions of the Philippines, China, Korea, and Vietnam saw American soldiers committing just 
untold and horrific sexual violence on Asian women, like to to the extent that like the U.S. essentially just inherits Japan's like mass military rape system in Korea and just yep. runs it for itself. Like there's and, this um, and all of all of those things came home so massively. All the things that were normalized overseas just came right back when all the soldiers came back. Yep, yep. You know, yeah, just, <laughs> I think I was gonna say next. Yeah, like the, the, the and, and this this has a like the I don't know. I I think people get the relationship between pop culture depictions and uh, of you know racist depictions of people in pop culture and the actual culture backwards. Like they don't help and they spread it, but like you know the the like me love you long time shit from like Kubrick. Like that that doesn't come out of nowhere. That's not just Kubrick. Like that's that is that's something that was brought home by the American racists and you know like when when they got back and that stuff. Like it's it's not just that like the stuff's being spread by media. It's that the media is being influenced by the people who did this stuff and then came home. It is the full circle thing. Yeah. 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 And I mean, even still now, there's such a such a degree of like Asian women being like an object to possess, even more so than like like it's like even more so than like regular women, which obviously under under like a lot of like patriarchal stuff in the states and you know overseas everywhere, you know women are seen as objects to possess. But specifically, there's that is so much heightened for uh women of color and specifically like Asian women. Um, that that idea. I mean, you you see that everywhere for like the libertarian asian girlfriend yeah. trope you like you see this in media all the time um that like the asian wife is something you own yeah and it's it's a it's very extremely pervasive yeah and, and I, I think the reason why is that like this image gets refreshed every time a generation comes home from a war in asia and you know that that's what, and because the u.s has been fighting wars in asia like forever I mean, basically, since like the, we've been fighting wars in Asia since the late eighteen hundreds, and you know, like it, it, the, the violence of each subsequent generation just sort of refreshes this image of like Asian women as prostitutes whose bodies are supposed to just be like accessible to white men at all times. But th- th- this has a sort of th- there's a kind of clash that happens here too, because like on the one hand you have this sort of like racial and sexual fetishization, and on the other hand you have Christian horophobia. And this gives you this culture where, like, Asian women are at once seen as, like, hyper-desirable and hyper-available, but are also just, like, utterly despised for both. And this sort of, like, racist pathology, this, this, this like, this, this sexual desire mixed with loathing is at just the absolute core of, of the Atlanta shooting. And as if to remind us of its origin, Long carries out his massacre on the 53rd anniversary of My Lie. And we're back. So I, I think we now have enough context to like go back to Long's initial description of why he carries out the attack, which is a self-described sex addiction and his desire to, quote, eliminate temptation. Yeah, because, and, I mean, we cannot overstate the degree to which both the police, uh, the church, and the shooter himself framed this not as an anti-Asian thing, but as like uh, as, a, as, a, as something addressing his sex addiction. Um, that was the angle they talked about it. Now there's all of the anti-Asian stuff that is like right under the surface, which is like propping up so much of what's going on. But the, the thing that they were publicly talking about was this, uh, so-called sex addiction. Yeah. And, and I think this is, this is, you know, this is, this is a very important angle of this is we should actually talk about what that is. 
And to, because and to, to understand, because he just he's not like okay, so like the, the sex edition is, I think, like actually sort of a thing. But I, that is a hotly debated. Topic. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I look. I, I'm not a psychiatrist. Don't take advice from me. Uh, I think it's the slightly more legit of the two things that of the of the two like fake syndrome things we're going to talk about here. But uh, this is not what's going on with him. And no, if you want to understand, a, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, what's going on with this? Uh, we need to go back to enemy of the show purity culture. Um, friend long, of friend of friend of the pod. Yeah, I, I'm gonna say no. I I, ref, I refuse. You know, I I had I had friend in there a couple of times, and I was like, I refuse <laughs> to call this friend of the show. Damn it! Like I can't bring myself to do it. All right, Joshua Harris just unsubscribed. <laughs> so Long, like by all accounts, is extremely religious. He's heavily involved in both his church and his high school. Like his high school, he goes to public high school, but his public high school has like Christian athletic groups. Yeah, which is a fun thing that they let you do in public schools. Um, yeah, it's great. Uh, so you know, to, to, to get it, to get a, an understanding of like the kind of baptism we're dealing with here, uh, here's a line from the church's bylaws: "Quote: We believe that any form of sexual immorality, such as adultery, fornication, homosexuality, bisexual conduct, bestiality, incest, polygamy, pedophilia, pornography, or any attempt to change one's sex or disagreement with one's biological sex is sinful and offensive to God. Yep. You know, and all of that's in the Bible. Yeah, they have. You you can tell because they cite three passages, none of which say that. <laughs> well, I, okay, I know there is there is bestiality stuff. Yeah, in the bestiality Bible. is, yeah. And I, think, is, I think incest is in there. Well, sort there's of. Some, I mean, they there's they some keep doing it, stuff. but there parts of the Bible are pro incest, parts of the Bible are anti incest. Yeah, it's um, yeah. The Bible has a real uh, a sticky <laughs> relationship with the topic of incest. Um, but yes, I'm I'm sure they thoroughly cite all of their passages for yeah. It's great. When they talk about uh, when they talk about bisexual conduct. Yeah, it's. Well, I mean, you know, the 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 one that's great is the uh, attempting to change one's sex or disagreement with one's biological sex. A thing that uh, I, I'm guessing they're citing God created males and females, and males and females He created them. I, I don't actually think so because they're not. They didn't. Uh, I, I okay. I, I, yeah, this this is me well, being a I'm, coward and a fool. I'm I just, didn't. I'm just. I'm just speculating based on yeah, my experience I... <laughs> in these in these uh, types of types of groups. Yeah. So, so speaking of these types of groups, so Long is like okay. So Long's church like expels him after the 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 shooting, the murders. Yeah. But okay, it's interesting because like I'm I'm ninety nine percent sure they they violated their own bylaws because there's no way they could have done their expulsion uh their actual expulsion protocol in that amount of time because they would have had to like send people to visit him in jail. See, I think you're overestimating the degree to which churches care about what their bylaws actually say. Well, I mean, it's the... Why am I blanking on it? What's the thing? Matt, Matt 18? There's, like, the thing that churches have that's, like, their expulsion protocol, and they, like, send someone to... Okay, yeah, this, is, this, again, this is the thing I think, I've ran into. I, th- I, th- I, think, <laughs> I think you're I think you're slightly overestimating how much people actually care about that. And yeah. How much it's all just a racket used to prop up the authority of the leaders and push people towards whatever political gains that the movement has. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, uh, spe- spe- speaking of getting people to submit to authority and political gains the movement. Uh yeah, so we've talked about purity culture on the show we, we have. like we have ad nauseum. Um so we're not going to go into an enormous amount of detail about it here. The but the we very should, we should at least describe yeah. what it is. So uh, the, the very 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 short version is it's like it's an incredibly patriarchal like 
evangelical Christian religious system in which like sex before marriage is seen as like an incredible sin. And there's just like, like focus on like the purity of the wife and like, like a woman is essentially the property of her husband and the entire goal of her existence is to like bear and raise children. And... Yeah. So it was, it was invented by, it was the modern version. It was invented in the nineties. Yeah. Uh, strongly influenced by a book written by someone named Joshua Harris. It was called, um, I kissed a dating goodbye. Uh, the book promotes a pro courtship to marriage pipeline instead of dating. Getting dating will probably encourage you to have sex before marriage, which is yeah. of course bad. Um, and under under all of this, under like the actual, like you know, if you if you if you start digging into this, all the stuff it talks about in terms of like sexual purity, um, is about you know women are responsible for men's sexual like um sins right like if, if if a man lusts for a woman that's the woman's fault not the yeah. man's fault right it's because the women must be presenting in a way that causes that to happen um right so women's women's bodies and clothes should be designed in a way so that it will not cause men to stumble um and by stumble they mean get horny um and you know it's something that you know your your body's both this thing that should be pure but also you should be ashamed of it right because yeah. it causes this sin uh, women can't really have any sexual desire on their own. Women aren't going to really enjoy sex. Um, it's it's specifically for men, and it's for procreation. Um, it's an, 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 an intense value tied to the, your idea of, of like virginity and virginity ex extending out to like personal purity and spiritual purity. Like if you have sex before marriage, you are like like unclean. It's it's like it's like your it's like your chewed up gum. Like you, like you would not pick up someone's like if you found some chewed up gum on the street, you wouldn't put it back in your mouth, right? So that's the idea. Like if you if if you're not a virgin, you are you are like chewed up gum. Like you are already used. You're spent. Um, so you have you know, so you save save for marriage so that only your husband can chew up your gum, and then after marriage you're just stuck there forever, right? It's also yeah. like very 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 anti-divorce. Yeah. Um, and there's really no difference. And like there's they they don't really. <sighs> There's not much discussion around consent, uh, oddly nope. enough, you know, like, as, and, you know, that may surprise you based on what I all just said, but no, <laughs> like, obviously they don't care about consent. Um, there's like, they, they view any, they view sexual assault just as bad as consensual sex before marriage. They see them as the same thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's basically this, it's the same structures. They, they're both an equal sin, uh, and I mean that is that is purity culture one oh one. We could we could just do an entire episode on purity culture and we probably will. We could do, we could do a series on it. Like yeah, like Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean the yeah. I th I think the other thing important thing about it is that like th this is basically like in in terms of there sort of being like a like I I don't know if you call it a counterculture, but there's sort of being like a, a, a an evangelical cultural machine. Like it's this. Like this is yeah. this is what they're pushing as like as like their mass movement for for youth, especially in the nineties and two thousands. We have we have stuff like purity rings, which is yep, like a yep. you know when you, when you're a teen, you'll get these like <sighs> objects or jewelry, which are like <sighs> like almost like magical items you put on to like show that I am going to keep myself pure, and by doing this by doing this action, it's symbolizing that and therefore internalizing it. There's also um, uh, purity balls, which is not <laughs> what uh, you'll. So when yeah. when you use the word purity ball, certain things will come to mind, right? Um, unfortunately, they're not as fun as what as what you are thinking. Um, a purity ball is just like a, a formal dance event, you know, like a ball that you put on, um, which is meant to. Uh, it's, it's a it's a meant to. Uh, usually, it's a, like fathers take their daughters there, and then their daughters swear to make a virginity pledge. 
um, to protect their purity of mind, body, and spirit, um, so that they will not then infect, you know, boys uh, and cause them to stumble and and commit the sin of lust. Which again uh, is an incredibly weird thing to do at a ball. Like, yeah, <laughs> yes, it's, it's so weird. Well, like, also, yeah, it's yeah, most most yeah, it's I we I think. <laughs> I think we've gone into enough about yeah about this I, specific I, sort of thing. I think the the the, the last thing I will well, okay there, there there is one more thing that we can, we're going to talk okay. about a bit at length. But well, I so before that I I do want to point out that Joshua Harris who like is is in a lot of ways responsible like single handedly responsible yeah. for an enormous amount of this. Uh, she is Japanese and uh, yeah fucking thanks for that one buddy great job good shit man like he also good uh, job. In 2019, he announced that uh, he and his wife were divorcing. Yeah, so uh, you know, <sighs> and 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 now and now no longer considers himself like the type of Christian he was before. I, I'm, yeah. I'm unclear what his actual spiritual beliefs are at the moment. But he did he did try to distance himself from his uh, from yeah from, from what stuff. I've read. Like it's unclear that he knows. So oh, he yeah. he knows. He I knows. Yeah. he he definitely knows. I can I can I can. I can uh, guarantee that he's he, he seems to be running. He has a new grift now. It sucks. Uh, they yeah, they always get bad. new grifts, but, but yeah, yeah actually, we, we will. Yeah, we will get into the new grift industry in a second. Um, but yeah, what, what, one of the other things that's that's a big part of this is a like a deep and abiding hatred of porn. Like, to oh the yeah, extent I mean, all of it, this is, is yeah. yeah. I mean, like as you said, and like in the list of bylaws, watching porn again is the same as sexual assault. Yeah, like this, uh, this is, a, is, this is a huge. It's sin. morally the same level of sin. Yeah, and and like, you know, I mean, and and you can read that both ways as how seriously they take watching porn and how not seriously they take sexual assault because it does both, go, it does go yeah. both ways. Yeah, um, and th- this this thing, the fact that, that this is this is like considered a sin is the apotheosis. Like, well, the apotheosis of this is is porn addiction, which again, like, not really dubious, real dubious existence. This is this is this is even more dubious sex than uh, sex addiction. Like, there's no there. This is this is like this is just fake. Um, but there's an entire culture that's that's a, like developed around stopping men from seeing porn. These like there's like these incredibly elaborate accountability setups where like yep. there's like apps you install on your stuff like. There's ways to alter your IP address to block yeah. certain sites. Yeah, R- Robert Aaron Long, the shooter, like he he uses a flip phone instead of a smartphone because uh, he thinks having a phone will like lead into temptation. Uh-huh. Um, now Long, yeah, and the, the product of this is there's like there's like this entire industry that is built up around uh, quote unquote treating the porn addiction. Yeah. Um, and it's it's all bullshit. Uh, but Long had spent had twice been in one of these facilities called hope quest now hope quest is an affiliate of our old friends at focus in the family but uh that that's not actually the part i want to talk about because what's more interesting about hope quest is that it's founded by roy a blankenship a former ex-gay who left both hope quest and the ex-gay community to live with his husband now what now this what a what a what what a what a funny pattern we keep finding ourselves here yeah, now, now I, th- I think, my, my dear listeners, if, if you were if you were not as as cursed as 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 we are, as we are, yes, and, and you don't know what an ex gay is, um, okay. ex gays were they were this movement of like evangelical gays who claimed that like this this is the thing that starts in like the nineties and two thousands. Uh, they they claimed that like they'd gone to conversion therapy and it made them not gay and it anymore. Works. Yeah, yeah, and and this and you know and in part part of partial what's going on here is they claimed that it's, that like they 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 did it voluntarily because like involuntarily. 
doing conversion therapy had gotten to a point where it was like bad PR wise because Jesus Christ, you were like uh-huh. torturing children and they're still torturing children. But, but this time they're like, no, it's voluntary. This is like their big, this is the right's big cultural campaign against the gay rights movement in the nineties and two thousands. And yeah. uh, like, I, I would say this, like it's, it's not exactly the same thing as the way they use detransitioners, but like there's a lot of, it's very similar. And of course, those. obviously, that we now have the XX gay movement. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and you know, and and, and to <sighs> to uh, like so okay, so like the the, the X gay movement falls apart at, in in like the late two thousands and early two thousand tens because like it doesn't work. All, like they're still all gay. The leaders Everyone's people were, are still gay. All the leaders yeah. were initially gay, said they were X gay, and then kept having gay sex because that rules. Yeah, um, yeah. And, so they and, all kind of realized maybe we should stop doing this thing that keeps killing kids. Yeah, and and, and so. Bl- Blake and Blankenship to his credit, like. He'd been a big person doing this, and then he was just like, like one of his friends like commits suicide, and he's like, "Oh shit!" And yep. so like he stops, and he like he denounces conversion therapy, and he's now pro queer. So, so many of the focus on the family people who were involved in like Love One Out, all of these ex gay programs, so many of them then renounced it, accepted their their gayness, and then moved to Portland, fucking Oregon. Yeah, so many of them did now, this. Now, th- if, there are if, exceptions if want... to this, though. Like, and okay, th- this right. this is what's interesting about this. So, okay, so so uh, while he was sort of figuring this out, Blankenship had, had like founded Hope Quest, right? And so he leaves, but the people who are running it now, like, are ex gays who they're like the only ex gays left who didn't renounce it, and who like still claim to be ex. I mean, they they they've taken their stuff about how. Like homosexuality should be like dealt with by same by having by marrying a woman and just not acting on it or whatever. Like they they they, they took that stuff out of their bios, but they, they apparently they still believe it. Like like they've they've, ne- they've ne- these people have never publicly come out against it. And you know, but what essentially happened was that like enough of enough of the ex gays like that the thing collapsed enough that like they had to find a new, they had to find a new thing to do. And the new thing they, they they found to do was they went and they went into the porn addiction uh, treatment industry. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, also, if if, yeah. if, you, if you want more background on like the ex gay thing, you can listen to the, my my two parter on focus on the family and James yeah. Dobson for behind yeah. the bastards. Also, for our week on the war on trans people, we discussed some of the same stuff yeah. for uh, the first episode, which is uh, the evangelical um, gay marriage um, like thing. That <laughs> so yeah, we 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 have we we do have, we do have some like produced scripted stuff on these topics if you want more background on them yeah unfortunately this is this is a story where there's like every single thread you've ever done suddenly is is coming together in one moment of horrific violence this is where long like winds up for his like treatment for like porn and sex addiction addictions which i cannot emphasize enough this is literally what he's talking about is literally that he watches porn like, like that, that's what porn and sex addiction like means. And because none of this is real, the treatments like don't work because again, it's all fake. And I, I do want to also say, uh, hope quest is, uh, operates out of Georgia. Yeah. 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 Anyway. But you know, so, so, so he, he, he so he, he goes into treatment twice and he's, he has, he says it like Maverick, which is this like recovery center. Um, and doesn't work. And he goes home and his parents kick him out of his house for watching porn. And, you know, I, I think this is something that, like, is important to understand, which is that the people inside of this world really deeply believe this stuff, right? And, and, and like, watching porn has real social consequences for them, and it has, you know, and th- this, this, ha- this has, has a, like, a, a profound effect on how these people think. Um, I'm going to read a quote from a Washington Post article. 
Bayless, who was Long's roommate at Maverick Recovery, a sober living facility in Roswell, Georgia, in 2019 and 2020, in the months between his stay at Hope, stays at Hope Quest, said Long felt his very salvation was at stake, as he told his roommate that he was, quote, living in sin and not walking in the light, he was walking in darkness. So th- this this is how these people like see this stuff, right? Like like this is this is literally about whether you're it's like very immortal intense. soul. Yeah, yeah. This is about whether yeah, you go no, to like, heaven or they're, hell. They're they're like, talking about like something extremely existential. Like it, like it is. And this all seems very silly to people who are not inside it because it is. It's it is it is absurd. But for, for the people involved in it, it is like the totality of the universe. Like it is it is so big. It's like the biggest thing. It's so important because you're. You're determining what your what you will what your conscious being will exist for for thousands and thousands of years. Like th- like this is what they actually believe. So it's super important. Like it's it is it is worth killing for because it's, yeah. that's that's how important this is. Like it, it, like I think I think there's an extent to which it is more important than life or death because you yeah. dying like okay you die once you go to your heaven, physical right? death doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Your, this, spiritual, your spiritual death, death. is so yeah. much more important. Yeah, and and this. You know, and and you know, we talked about this. Like, it's there, there's those things. There's there's the social consequences. You can get kicked out of your house. You can get kicked out of your church if you keep doing this. Like, th- like these churches will kick you out. Um, and and this, you know, th- this makes the ideology at work here incredibly powerful, and, and provides a, a mixture of this, like this, this really incredible self hatred for like falling into sin and giving into temptation, and it also creates a hatred of the temptation itself. And this brings us all the way up to the shooting. Um, purity culture, purity culture is the key that unlocks, you know, the meaning of Long's words. We we can understand the explanation that the police gave, which again, like he apparently has an issue, what he considers a sex addiction, and sees these locations as something that allows him to go to these places, and it's a temptation for him that he wanted to eliminate. You know, and, and he, there there was a uh, at. at, at the memorial for, for the shooting last year, um, sex worker organizer Kailin Zhang said this, they hate us so they can hate themselves less. And I think that's... That's, that's a really great... Uh, yeah. That is a really good analysis, yes. Yeah, it's perfect encapsulation of like what's happening here. But this is the part of the story where the media just violently and spectacularly fucks up to enact... Dropped- they uh they uh dropped the purity ball you might say yeah i mean it's 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 really horrible they're like what they've essentially done is enact 200 years of racist violence against people who had either literally just survived a mass shooting or who are literally dead and the way they do this is the press reads long talking about sex addiction addiction and they immediately assume that the women in these massage parlors have been having sex with him and they start there's like this whole hunt that they do to like search for evidence that massage workers were doing like full service sex work based off of again the words of a literal racist mass murderer and their own racist preconception that like all asian women especially spa workers are also sex workers yep and like you know on the one hand yeah it's true that this stuff is fueled by horophobia and also like morally who gives a shit what they were doing but the immediate problem here is that by doing this witch hunt, you are sicking the police on the survivors. Yep, you're putting you're putting survivors in immense legal and physical danger. Yeah, and and we we will talk about this more next episode. But like these women have already seen more police violence and police raids than all of the journalists writing about this combined have seen in their entire lives. And if any of these people had bothered to spend five seconds thinking about what purity culture is. 
they would have realized that Long is from a fanatically puritanical culture, a culture where, for example, a massage given by a woman where the man is like almost entirely naked uh, is something that would absolutely have been considered a sexual service. And like, you know, and, and if you think about this again for like five seconds, right? When he's talking about removing temptation, he he already thinks of all of these women as sex workers. Yes. Because that's that's what he thinks a massage is. He thinks like that 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 that's that's how he thinks about massages. It's yeah, it is it it women are the like women do this and they cause men to sin, right? It's not it has nothing to do with what's going on with the man. It is specifically what the woman's doing. Yeah, well and, and, and even then, like it doesn't actually like I think I think the, the, the important distinction here is that it does not matter when Long talks about how this is a place that was giving him temptation and also like like he was giving him temptation and he was like he was going there for his sex addiction. Like it doesn't actually matter to him whether or not any of these women have ever like no, exchanged it, money for it, sex at all. It doesn't matter. It doesn't it doesn't need to be it's sexual no at all. Role. Absolutely yeah. not. No. Yeah, because these people are fucking like just engulfed in like so totally engulfed in this incredibly like violent and racist and misogynist and horophobic ideology that it just sort of, you know, like that, that's just how they think. And I, I think th th this is where we're going to return one final time in this episode to race, because there, there's a mistake that people make thinking about this analytically that prevents them from understanding both what's happening in Atlanta and how sort of capitalist and racist violence happens everywhere, which is that like, okay, so right when this happened, um, like when when the, when the press conference dropped, you got all, like, there were a lot of people like Glenn, I think Glenn Greenwald did this, like, like Lee Fang. Like there was a whole crew of people who were like, "This isn't about Asian racism at all. This is about him like hating sex workers." And okay, it, it is true that human labor has been transformed into a commodity that can be bought and sold at will. Now, on on a, on a more theoretical level, right. You, you you will see sort of incredibly theory brain people who will talk about how, you know, in in Marx's critique of political economy, right, all labor is abstract and interchangeable. Each each unit of labor time is equivalent, identical, and exchangeable. But here in the massage parlor, this is a deadly simplification. This labor, yep. the labor that is going on here is Asian. It is indelibly stamped with race and ethnicity and nationality and hundreds of years of violence and perception. Um Ruma Espacha, a assistant professor at the Institute of Women's Studies at the University of Georgia, wrote a piece last year called White Supremacy in the Wellness Industry, or Why It Matters That, it, that This Happened at a Spa. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to read a passage from it because it's very good. Massage spas, also called salons or parlors, like the one where these crimes took place, are part of a broader industrial complex that capitalizes on the racist belief that Asian people, and Asian women in particular, possess magical, spiritual, and sexual healing abilities. These attitudes belong to an entrenched Orientalist infrastructure in the United States that connects yoga, meditation, and massage to tourism, pleasure, and escape, signaled by the exotic tropical flower in the photo above. And there's a photo of a flower at a parlor. Yeah. You know, and, and th this, this labor, the, the, the labor of, of, of the massage that's happening here is... It depends almost entirely on a very specific performance of a specific kind of Asian femininity. And, you know, when this sort of gendered and racialized violence, when this gendered and racialized labor comes into contact with Long and all of the sort of historical forces that he's bearing, he murders the workers. 
and yeah, I, I think yeah, th- this is the part of the story of the Atlanta shooting that I think if people know about the Atlanta shooting at all, like this is the part they know about, right? They they know the story of Robert Aaron Long, but there are other stories here, stories that aren't stories that in large part are just not about the U.S. at all. Um, there are the stories of the victims, the survivors, and the absolute hell that brought them into the massage parlor in the first place on that horrific night. And those are the stories that we're going to tell in part two. Yeah. Well, that yeah. does it for us today. I, I do want to say, I know uh, I know, uh, Chris was planning these uh, for the anniversary of uh, the shooting, but uh, they proved to be quite the uh, daunting task to put together. Yeah, so ha- yeah. had to get pu- had to get pushed back for a while. So, but uh, but big thanks to you for doing the work to uh, read through all of the horrible things. Yeah, <laughs> and you, uh, oh boy, to. if in like uh, the other thing I say about this, like yeah, if you, if you think this is bad, wait till part two, which is uh, even more wide spanning and uh, has uh, horrific and disturbing violence in a way that will. I don't know, reduced media tears multiple times and yeah, we'll leave you an existential dread of the condition of this world. Yeah. And I guess, again, there, there is, there, there is ways to combat it, right? Cause all of these, a lot, a lot of these things are, you know, problems with like viewpoint and ideas in terms of how we view sex, how we view women, how we view race. Um, and there are things that when you see, you can interrogate in people. Um, especially if you're especially if you're a christian if you're if you're going to church these are things to watch out for and you can push back on uh because it's and doing so can maybe save people's lives because these ideas have a death count yeah and and i think i think there's another part of this too which is that you know i mean the the reason we talk about purity culture stuff so much the reason we talk about the the mobilizations of, of the evangelical right so much is that they keep producing these movements that you know that that put that put our lives in danger and the only way that we can stop this and this is a thing that we can do is you have to actually destroy their movement right you ha- you have to you have to actually break their power you have to you know you, you you have to find various ways to break the power break the power of these churches and you have to find ways to break the power of their political movements and that is not an easy task but if if, if we want to live in a world well i mean just Point blank. If 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 we want to live in a world and not in you know like four degrees Fahrenheit, like unlivable deathscape, like we have to deal with these people <laughs> because they are the source of almost every right wing movement that that we're facing, and they have to be crushed before they do this again. Yeah, and they're they're gonna try. I mean, there's yep. obviously yeah. Like the the biggest thing would would say is like reaching out to people who you know are in this or if you if you go to church i think it's your duty as a a christian to push back on these things yeah because i'm i'm not gonna bash anyone specifically for whatever religion they have i I understand why people have this i i i i I can see how they work um you know i was was raised in something very similar um but you can you can still push back on the, the type of rhetoric that leads to these things and the type of like of like objectification and racism that necessitates violence and gets people to be okay with violence um and pushing back against like christian apocalyptic uh w- worldviews and like the idea yeah, of that too your your actions will 
determine your, you know, how the spiritual quality of your soul and where it's going to reside for all of eternity, right? All these things are are ideas that are pretty, pretty like innately dangerous. Um, And there's ways to do religion that don't have that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think, I think that is a good enough place to leave it for today because I know... Uh, part two, we're gonna have some more, more uh, fire wide, wide, widespread problems. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this this has been Naked Happened Here. You can find us in the social media places at Happened Here Pod. Uh, you can also flee into the woods. And flee into the woods, but, 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 but before you flee into the woods, subscribe to the pod and re- leave a five star review. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody. (laughs) See you tomorrow. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. 
No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Yep. It's It Could Happen Here. A podcast about things falling apart and some other stuff occasionally. I'm Robert Evans. Welcome to the show. Today, uh, our guests, uh, fresh off their new hit movie uh, by Paramount, Garrison Davis. Uh, what? And, and, yeah, what, what? What? I'm doing like a, like a thing. Okay. Chris, Garrison, Garrison's lost the thread. Why don't you pick it up? I, I also have lost the thread, so yeah, here's been, new this one. Been, this has been very mm-hmm. confusing for part yeah. two of, of an episode. <laughs> it's, it's just absolutely yeah, well, baffling. <laughs> look, you want things to not be confusing, you have somebody else introduce your podcast. That's just the way it goes. Noted. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, w- w- welcome to part two of the Atlantis shooting. Um, we are back with actually less Atlanta this time, but more shooting. Oh, good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this is a very absurd it situation. Really is. <laughs> we found oh, ourselves in. <laughs> dear God. I, just a normal day at work. <laughs> Take it away, Chris. <laughs> you got this. You got this. We believe in you. So th- there's, there's a tendency, I think, among... Asian American writers where when we get confronted with what are, you know, considered quote unquote Asian American stories, uh, there's almost inevitably an autobiographical pivot that happens like at some point in the piece. Um, Mei Zhong, the, the author of the Vanity Fair piece I mentioned last episode, that's been a major source for both these episodes, uh, does it in her piece. So do, I mean, like dozens and dozens and dozens of Asian American writers who are, you know, much more accomplished and talented than I am. And like, I get it. I, I, I don't blame them for it. I think it's, it's a powerful way to anchor a story and to understand a story. And I also think that it's why we miss like half of the story that we, when we talk about things, because you know, the, 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 the audio autobiographical focus has this tendency to, to narrow the scope into looking at just sort of the U S and this story and the story of Asian Americans in general isn't just a story about sort of a minority in the U.S. or about American imperialism. It's about Asia itself. And here especially, it's about China and Korea, to a lesser extent, Japan. And, you know, the, the, the histories of these places have as much to do with why the people who died in Atlanta were in those rooms on that day as Christian purity culture does. And, you know... By, by by actually looking at this, we, we get to introduce another key player in this horror show who only sort of appeared tangentially in part one, which is capitalism, because capitalism is about to show up and make just all of this monumentally worse. Yeah, it's kind of like Steven Seagal in that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think more much more active than Steven Seagal, but well, some, yeah, some he can barely move. Yeah. yeah, capitalism unfortunately moves at an incredibly relentless pace. Yeah, capitalism's knees are in incredible shape. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 this 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 brings us back to Atlanta itself. Dao Yofang died a hero in the final moments of her life as shots rang across Young's Asian massage, 
She motioned for Marcus Leone, still half-naked on the massage table, to stay still and wait for her to walk in front of him before he dived behind the massage table. By covering Leon's movement as she opened the door, she sacrificed her life to save the life of a man she'd met just minutes before. Her reward, in typical American fashion, was a bullet in the head. It took six days for her family in China to realize that she'd been killed. By village custom, the remains of an unmarried woman who left the village could not re-enter it to be buried. Her body thus Jesus. lay unclaimed in a morgue for 19 days before she was buried in the land of her killer at a funeral attended entirely by strangers. Marcus Leon, the man Dao Yongfeng sacrificed her life to save, was forced to return to work at FedEx just three days after surviving the massacre. Ooh. The sound of the packages he dropped on his delivery run sounded like gunshots. He quit soon after. Yeah. There is no justice in this world, only an unending parade of horror, the details of which are somehow each worse than the last. <laughs> and it is... Yeah, and th this is, I think, what I wanted to sort of, what I wanted to talk about in this episode, which is that, like, it's not just that there was a shooting, it's that each element of why everyone is there is a, it, its own successive horror story. And the conditions that, like, produce this horror are not, you know, they're not just the conditions that produce Robert Aaron Long. They're not just the conditions that produce the shooter. They are the conditions that produced Dao Feng, who spent almost her entire life as a migrant worker supporting a family whose most pressing concern was attempting to marry her off. And, and I think it's worth tracing out these conditions and how they develop, because uh, a 12-year-old girl drops out of middle school to work at a factory 250 miles away and that eventually is gunned down by an American racist is not how the future of Asia was supposed to go. Like, you know, I... I, I... I don't yeah, have much I love would for imagine Mao. not. Yeah, it's like I don't have much love for Mao, but I don't, I don't think if you showed Mao this, he would be like, oh my god, this is the future that I wanted for my people. Like, this... Th things have gone very badly wrong, and I think to understand how we got to this hell, we need to go back to another hell, which is the beginning of the Korean War. Mm. And, you know, we've talked about the effects that the Korean War had on Korean women in the last episode, but I think there's a few other things that are worth emphasizing here. One of which is that the, the absolute devastation that the war wrought on North and South Korea is incalculable. I mean, the, the effects of this are still felt to this day. It was a utterly devastating war. Um, but it, it also has sort of more subtle effects on the sort of politics and economics of of the region because what one of the you know one of the very important things about this war is that the US is fighting in East Asia. And this means that the US is going to leave an enormous army in South Korea, which has its own military and sort of political and economic consequences. And you know, those troops are still there to this day, like technically fighting a war which has never formally ended. And, you know, we'll, we'll come back a bit to this later, but this has enormous implications for the entire region. Um, I've, I've talked on Bastards before about, like, you know, I, 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 about some of the effects this has, but, you know, Korea and later Vietnam are a major, like, the, the wars the U.S. fights there are a major factor behind the industrialization of Japan, which sees, you know, enormous U.S. investment as part of this attempt to, like, shorten American supply lines by exporting their military industrial complex to East Asia. 
you know, we talked about the Japanese angle of this, but South Korea is likewise industrialized by American capital for, you know, pretty much the same reason. Um, you know, and, 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 th- and this goes on to the extent that like Korean troops like fight on the side of the U.S. in Vietnam. And, you know, and South Korea's production base proves a sort of a pivotal military asset for the U.S. war machine in the East. Now, the, the thing I think, and I think, I think that part of it, like, is understood decently well, because, you know, if you, if you, if you, if you, do, if you like, know literally anything about this region, you've, you've seen the effects of this stuff. But the part of it I think is less understood is that in China, this, the war has a, a, a similar effect, which is that communist leadership fights this war, right? and it immediately becomes clear to them that there is a looming possibility they're going to have to fight the U.S. again. And if they're going to have to fight the U.S. again, they need an actual sort of modern industrial base to fight a war against the U.S. And this, you know, th- this leads to sort of militarization, industrialization. And you, you get a look at uh, two very different kinds of state-led developments, uh, which I'm, I'm going to call uh, state-led development corruption and state-led, state-led development socialism, question mark. Which sort of which sort of play out in China and Korea, um, and you know I, I think it's 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 worth actually talking about this because both of these systems are essentially going to collapse, and when they do, they are going to send an enormous number of people, both in China and Korea, you know, spreading spreading across the world, seeking like any kind of sort of economic salvation, and a lot of the people who are killed in Atlanta are in Atlanta because of these because of these crises. Yeah, so so the the, the first of these is, is the Chaebol system in Korea, which is sort of informally established by the dictator Park Chung-hee as like the core of his plan for economic development. And it generates a a number of extremely powerful family-owned mega conglomerates with intimate ties to the state and these sort of various political factions. And and these conglomerates which control just vast sections of the Korean economy. I mean like 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 to this day, Samsung, which is the the largest, the remaining tables, like I, I think I think they they're the, the, their total percentage of the GDP of Korea is like seventeen percent or something. It's like it's it's absolutely absurd. Wow, um, Jesus. Yeah, like and and, and 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 like and the, the thing is that you know it's sort of it's amazing about this is that like the the tables are much weaker than they used to be. Um, for reasons that we will get to in a bit. And you know when 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 they're founded, when they're sort of at the height of their powers, they have you know they're 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 established with three goals. Um, there's an attempt to develop the economy. Uh, you know f- there, there's an attempt to sort of to fuel. There's an attempt to sort of fuel the American and South Korean war machines. And the third thing they're trying to do is to make a lot of people in the government, and their allies, indescribably rich. And uh, it works. <laughs> Sort of amazingly, which is a, a, a weird thing to say about a development regime started by military dictatorship, but they have they have an enormous amount of mil- of, of American capital, military aid, and like they they do successfully develop. They kill an enormous number of people in the process, but you know they do it. On 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 the other side, you have Chinese state-led development. And this is also about economic development and fueling the military. But, you know, the goal here is to create an economic base for socialism. And this does not work. Um, there, there, There's a number of sort of complicated reasons for this. The, the, the simplest one is that China just doesn't get the kind of investment technology transfers South Korea gets until like way later. 
Um, but the, the other really important element of this for this story is about the urban rural divide. And this is another thing I've talked about bastards. Like on, I've talked about on bastards a bit, but I think it's worth going into the details a little bit because otherwise a lot of the stuff that's going to happen that is, you know, the, 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 the part of the story that is directly sending 12 year olds off to a factory in Shenzhen, like don't make any sense without it. So to, to, to make a very complicated and shifting set of economic programs, like as simple as possible, um, Chinese industrial policy during what's sort of called the socialist period is about extracting grain from the countryside and fueling and funneling it into urban industrial developments. And, you know, to, to get it, to get a like understanding of what we're talking about here. So this, the CCP is essentially deliberately underdeveloping the countryside in favor of developing cities. And, and this is this is explicit state policy. Um, from from 1953 to 1985, 80% of the Chinese population is doing agricultural labor, but agriculture receives less than 10% of state investments over the same period. So they are like really, really, really incredibly not funneling any resources back into into rural areas. Yeah, I mean, is there a degree to that? Is there a degree of that that is maybe related to? Like I know in the USSR, a lot of the early left-wing resistance to the Soviet regime came from rural areas. Um, is, is it anything to do with that? Like, is it kind of a desire to to avoid developing these places that are less controllable? No, and th this, this is the sort of interesting thing about China is that, I mean, okay, so the, the, the CCP originally has an urban base, but they, they managed to get their entire urban base killed. So when, oh, okay. when well, Mao, yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll yeah, have a problem. yeah, it's, yeah. And this is, this, this is the cause of like, like this, this is, this is one of the reasons for the Sino-Soviet split. Like this is ba basically like Stalin and Trotsky are bickering and their bickering gets like a million Chinese communists killed. And that means that, you know, this, this, this is, this is where the sort of rise of Mao comes in because Mao is a, Mao's a peasant organizer. And once right. the entire rural party is dead, it's like, well, okay, so now we have a peasant base. And they have, they actually have a really, they have, they have like a basically unprecedented level of, of sort of buy-in from the countryside. But the problem is that the party just isn't interested in, in rural development because the thing that they want is they want to be able to develop military power and they want to be able to develop like heavy industry. And those aren't things that they think you can do in the countryside. And so their strategy is just to just, I mean, just literally, it's just pure grain extraction from the countryside and then using that to, to fuel industrial development, which they're doing for, I mean, largely ideological reasons. But it also does have to do with the fact that China, like, like people, people talk a lot about how, like, you know, the communist revolution in Russia happens in, like, the least developed country in Europe. And it's like, yeah, but, like, Russia had, like, several times more industrial capacity during Russian revolution than China does after the war. So this is a country that is like a complete economic backwater. And so, you know, this, this, this is part of what they're doing, although it doesn't, it doesn't work. And, you know, I, I should mention that there's one other thing that they're doing here, which is that, so the, the, their base in the peasantry is fairly solid, but the other thing they have to use this grain budget for is to buy off this like incredibly militant working class that they've inherited because these people are on strike like constantly and this is this is this is a really serious problem for the CCP and so they 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 you know they have all these welfare programs they have all of this sort of these resources that they're they're paying they're putting into sort of buying off this class 
And the result of this is you have just incredible rural poverty because like one one of the things that happens here is I guess I guess you call them benefits, but things like this like housing, education, like medical care, this stuff is all distributed like through your work and through your household registration. And so you know, if 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 you're someone who has a job in the countryside, you're, you you the resources that you're getting are are also from the countryside, and that means that you have just these like awful underfunded services. And your benefits are terrible, and even if you can somehow get a job in the city, which is really hard because China also has these like really intense internal like immigration restrictions. So like if 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 you're like in another province that you're not supposed to be, like you you will get deported back to your home province. There, there's all these these really tight controls, and this means that like. If you're in a rural area, like your livelihood is tied to your family unit in a way that's like not happening anywhere near as intensely in the cities. And and when I say your livelihood is tied to your family unit, uh, what I mean is that like, other than this like brief like token attempt they made to socialize like housework, reproductive labor, and the Great Leap Forward, uh, men and the state are just like entirely dependent on uncompensated housework and production by women. Which wow. Yeah, you know. that's not just a China thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like, okay, yeah, it's like, oh, hey, this sounds like a modern system. And like, yes, this is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, the socialists, like, ideologically are claiming to be better than this. So I'm holding them through their own standards, giving them just like sure. a D on this because this no, is I mean, fair. Like, yeah, I mean, like, I think this is really one of like, you know, okay, so they failed to end capitalism. But like, I think. If if you look at like what is the other great failure of the Chinese Revolution, it's that they never dealt with the patriarchy, and this means that like you know when, when Mao is saying stuff about like women hold up half the sky, like what what he actually means is that like women's labor is holding up like seventy percent of the budget and they're getting like twenty percent of the pay, and this this is extremely important for reasons that we will get to in a second because. It turns out if your entire economy is based on patriarchy, uh, really bad things start happening in terms of your gender politics, which uh, is a thing that has never, has literally never happened in any other regime. And we should not at all take any lessons from this about how our own economy works. It's great. It's completely fine. The, the other thing that we need to talk about is the CCP's just utter full-scale war against its urban workers. And th- this is not the kind of like abstract class war that you hear leftists talking about all the time. That's, you know, about like wages, unionization and so forth. Like this is an actual war that is resolved by the by just the PLA, the Chinese army, just butchering the Chinese working class. And th- this comes to a head in the Cultural Revolution. And, you know, I, I, I have I have a whole rant about the Cultural Revolution that I will do sometime. That's not now. But the short version of it is that one of the things that happens in the Cultural Revolution is that. The CCP crushes these sort of rebel worker factions, and they kill a million people, like from 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 okay, from these. Well, that is a lot factions. of people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's really, it's really it's like, it, it, like it, it, comparing it like to the scale of like the great anti-communist purges. Like this is, I, I think it, I think it's actually more. I think it's like one point one million people. I think it's more people than than Suharto killed. It's like. Well, well, there you go. See, there's some left-right unity. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Mao, 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 undisputed greatest anti-communist, has, has the highest yeah, number I of mean, communism kills. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Let's let's. I mean, Joseph Stalin's in that running. That's Look, true. You've got a. You've got a. 
you've got a couple of <laughs> titans battling it out here. Yeah, it's 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 a diff- it's 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 a difficult choice, but yeah, I mean, like th- they are like like the, the CCP is literally fighting a war against against disturbed workers, and like this is e- even by like the mid seventies, th- there are, there are moments where the army is sending like tens of thousands of work of tens of thousands of troops like into cities to break up strike waves, and this is this is an enormous problem for the CCP. You know, okay, like it's an enormous problem for them politically because. It turns out that being a communist party and then the thing that you're doing all of the time is sending soldiers to shoot workers is really bad for your political system ideologically. Well, okay, that's your opinion. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it doesn't go great for them. And and the the other problem they have is, uh, you know, this this creates this like this incredible militarization of society and this leads to stagnation and there's all this corruption that's happening. But the other problem is like, Okay, so if you're like a cadre like planner, right, and there's all these people on strike, uh, you need them to not be on strike because you need them to produce stuff for your like central planning production schedules. And so all all of these like cadre planners start being like, okay, these workers keep going on strike. Like, where where can we get labor that won't do this? And they start looking at the countryside, and they start going like, beard stroke. Can we send this over here? And meanwhile, like. The actual rural, like ruralites, are fed up with just being treated like shit, and they start decollectivizing their farms because, well, okay, there's a lot of reasons why they're doing this, but they they essentially start forming these things that become called uh, town and village enterprises, which are these like the simplest explanation of it is that they they basically start for- forming capitalist companies and trying to make money, but the ownership structures are a bit different because they're like you know it'll be like a village right and like the village like technically collectively owns this like company that makes tires or something right and this is where you start getting markets coming back to china and the ccp looks at this and goes like yeah sure this is fine uh this this won't stop our communism thing because we're having budget shortfalls right now and if we let someone else do this work we don't have to pay for it and these, so the, the, these town and village enterprises, which are called TVEs, like mostly what they're doing is they're like selling parts and stuff to like these giant state-owned enterprises, which are, you know, your state-owned enterprises are things that are building like bikes and like tractors and refrigerators. So they're like, you know, they're selling them like wheels or like refrigerator parts. And this is, this is the thing that becomes the core of the Chinese economy, particularly in Daoyufeng's home province of Guangdong, because but Guangdong is a really unique, well, okay, a really unique province, I guess, is a thing you can say about literally every province, but Guangdong is particularly unique in this period because it's right next to Hong Kong. And this means that, the, I mean, the, the, there's always been sort of like capital kind of through really shady black markets and like people passing each other like notes under dinner tables and extra, like all, all of the weird like diplomacy stuff that like, uh, like Kissinger and Nixon get up to is happening through these like weird back channels that a lot of which are running through Hong Kong. There's a lot of stuff that's been sort of running through there. And when this stuff starts to happen, um, you, uh, Guangdong gets these special economic zones and th- this becomes sort of the, the, the prototype for China's like eventual sort of capital centric, like export development model. Um, Guangdong is like, they're, they're literally, they're, they're 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 taking like foreign capital from Hong Kong and they're using it to produce goods for the market. And this is the world that Dao Yongfeng and Xiao Jitan grew up in, 
Um, it, it it's a world where. On the one hand, there's enormous economic growth, but on the other hand, like all of the safety nets that Chinese socialism have put in place are just like being completely destroyed, and everyone is once again dependent on wages to survive. And it's also an incredibly deeply patriarchal world, you know, and we we've seen this already, right, with Dion Feng's village just like refusing to bury her body because she's not married, and. You know, th- this is this is something that's only gotten worse as the sort of as the eighties wear on. You get into the reform period. You have simultaneously you have the one child policy, which is this incredibly draconian st- state enforced destruction of bodily autonomy, and it also serves this really horrific role in devaluing girls because girls are seen as having less ec- economic value than boys. And so you get all these things where like you get these you get targeted like gender targeted abortions, there are these mass sterilizations that happen, and yeah, it's this just enormous patriarchal engine and it sucks. And there's also there's a return to Confucianism as well. Because like and this is one of the things that's like the most infuriating about this, because like like eighty percent of like what the original Chinese revolution was about was like, hey, Confucianism sucks. Like this, this incredible, like reactionary patriarchal ideology is in fact bad. And then, like, forty years in, they're like, "Hold on, wait, what if we bring this shit back?" And it is, it is, it is extremely bad. And you know, and it, it serves as a sort of like, like this pacifying patriarchal ideology that they're using to sort of hold the family unit together because the family unit are. Like, so a lot of the, the firms in this period, are, they're just like owned by families, right? And, you know, you, 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 there's, there's a lot of sort of similarities here between if you look at your like, you know, you're, you're sort of like right wing, like culturally Christian, like small business owner families. And you look at this and it's like, huh, we've, we've, we've redeveloped the wheel here. We have, we have once again created the patriarchal death engine. Yay. Woo. It's, it's great. It's. Yeah, and this this is basically th- this is the world that Daniel Fong like grows up in, and this is the period where the the old urban working class is just hammered to pieces, so that the state and capital could just gorge itself on its welfare benefits, and the new Chinese working class is born, and this migrant working class. Its vanguard are these women who are given two imperatives by their families, and these 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 imperatives are given. I mean, literally to Dao Yongfeng, like Dao Yongfeng, like directly, and I, I think indirectly to um, Xiao Jitan. Well, okay, so like with, with Dao Yongfeng, we like we literally have the quotes of this, right? Like she she is told by her family, "Get married and find a job," and. Xiao Chitan gets married off at 20, but a, a middle school Dao Yongfeng like drops out of school and just goes to work in a factory in Shenzhen. And this like th- these are the women who built modern China. Like th- these are these are literally these are the people who turned Shenzhen from a tiny rural town into a world-class manufacturing hub that is literally larger than any city in North America. And I mean this happens in the span of like a couple of decades. And they get jack shit for it. Like the, the wages they are working for, like Dao Fong's brother is working on a rubber, rubber plantation. He's making $5 a month. 
And, you know, in, in Dion Fong's case, like the other thing she's dealing with is literally these constant demands for her family to get married. And Fong just refuses. They, they try to do it as a young adult. She just goes, no. And they try to they try it again. Like at, when she's like 38, they, like they bring her back to her village and are like, pick a husband. And she just goes, no. And she just like, they, they keep showing your guys. And she just keeps going like, no. And, you know, what, what she does instead is charter her own path by managing to secure a visa to the U.S. Where, and she, this, 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 uh, so Dayong Fong's like, is a migrant worker for ages and eventually i think it was like 2016 she moves to the u.s to support her family again from afar there's there's only there's one more piece of macroeconomics that we need to talk about before we can follow daniel fong to the massage parlor and this one is going to get like everyone else to the scene of this massacre so w- w- when we last left our uh korean corruption chables uh business business was booming and in, in the early 90s business is like even more booming it is this is this is the best i've ever done economically and the reason it's the best i've ever done economically is because is is by is, is in, in large part because of the thing that i am just perpetually cursed by when i do research for this show which is the plaza accords um i've, I've talked about this before but i will once again do a brief summary of this which is that so in, in the 1980s I, as people probably are aware the u.s the u.s manufacturing economy is dying and this is a real problem for Reagan because everyone's like, Reagan, why does the economy suck? And his solution to this is just basically at gunpoint forcing Japan and West Germany to like let the U.S. devalue its currency relative to the yen and the Deutschmark. And it's like, okay, this is a this is a boring technocratic thing. But the thing it actually does is, if if your currency is weaker than another currency, it's easier for you to like sell them to have an export economy and sell them stuff. And this sets off just like an incredibly catastrophic chain of events where the U.S. manufacturing actually comes back because, you know, hey, oh, hey, look, the dollar's the dollar's weaker now. We can produce shit again. But it just, you know, it it it, it combines with this like structural weakness. Japan's economy, Japan's economy just implodes, and Japan goes, okay, fuck it. How do we keep the economy going without a manufacturing sector? And their solution is invest in other countries and do real estate speculation. And, you know, okay, so obviously nothing bad ever happens happens when you do real estate speculation. And the Japanese economy was completely fine until it collapsed like five years later. Um, but th- this, this has a series of effects. Uh, one of them is that the Korean Chables you know those, those those companies that are doing like literally the best business they've ever done the reason they're doing this is because of japanese credit and the fact that like the, the, the there's more complicated currency bullshit going on but basically like the the value the value of the korean currency was pegged to the dollar and so when the dollar's value decreased uh the won also decreased and so you know this 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 gives korea like a big manufacturing competitive manufacturing edge but then, you know, Japan goes under and they start to lose credit. And then the U.S. in 1995 does the reverse Plaza Accords, where they just reverse the thing that they did before. And so now the dollar is incredibly strong again. Uh, every other currency is really weak relative to it. And this just like. This just obliterates like every economy in East Asia. Like they all just implode. Thailand goes under and most of these countries like have never recovered. So, like Thailand in particular, like the, the uh, I mean. South Korea kind of does, but it's basically the only one. All the rest of the economies are just obliterated. And, you know, th- th- this, this, this is the, the, the Asian economic crisis. 
and you know saddled with like enormous debts and declining profits like these chables start just collapsing left and right and south korea just is just on the edge of bankruptcy and right on cue the imf shows up and makes everything worse because it's, it, yeah it's great it's the imf they yeah they 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 do they do normal imf stuff and they you know they impose a bunch of austerity measures and this just this annihilates the korean middle class like it's just it just gets obliterated this is this this is just this death knell and it it also it has you know it has a lot of effects but one of the other ones is the korean labor movements is really severely damaged by just all the economic devastation that's happening around them and the product of this is just as sort of rural poverty drives Daeyongfang and Chaojitan from their villages, the economic collapse drives Hyungjung Kim Grant, who's one of the other people who died in, in this shooting, from Korea to the US. And this is something that this is there's there's something about the US here. Well, okay, the something about the US is that its economy is incredibly strong and the dollar is incredibly strong. And even people who come to the US for other reasons, uh, two of the women who wind up here like are here basically because they married someone. And but even that, you know, they, they like there's a couple of people like they, they marry someone and then they 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 break up and divorce them, but they stay in the US. And they stay in the US because like the, the the median American income is like three times the median American income in China and that's like now. And so, you know, and the the combination of that and the strength of the American, the American dollar, sort of, it brings, it brings the brave, the desperate, and just the love struck to our shores. Um, now, if, if you remember LCS Hernandez Ortiz, who's who's the man that uh, Long like shot while he was on his knees begging for his life, um, Hernandez Ortiz was in that mall because he was wiring money home to his family in Guatemala. And, you know, we we could do another entire story here about Guatemala and the United Fruit Company and these the US backhoes and genocides, but I think the thing about this story is that every atrocity is tied to every other atrocity. You know, and it creates this web of death that we sort of, you know, we, we euphemistically call it capitalism or society or reality. And the survivors of this are just flung from meat grinder to meat grinder, desperately looking for a new life in a new country. And, you know, they get there and the country just buries them instead. Now, Yongfeng was also, you know, constantly sending money home to her family when she arrives in the U.S. She, I mean, she's supporting like 10 members of her family off of a salary that is like, I mean... It, like she, she's supporting two members of her family off of the salary that you get from massage work, right? Which, yeah, like, I, I think this is like, like again, I think something that people don't understand about the U.S. is that like, yeah, American wages are low, but the dollar is so strong that even like, e- like real like small amounts of money that you can send, uh, like it, small amounts of money in dollars you can send back home have this enormous economic impact, and there is there is an enormous like an absolutely enormous sort of network of of immigrants in the U.S. who are here basically to work and to send remittances back home. And this is, I mean, this is like, this is an enormous part of just how the, the economy of the Philippines works because of, yep, yeah, a bunch of the just incredibly fucked up stuff that the Marcoses did. Um, yeah, and, you know, for, for Asian women in particular, 
once they get here, they're often drawn to spa work because, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of reasons we'll get into in a second, but these spas, these spas are in some sense just like a microcosm of the US. Like the pay is good and the people doing the work often like prefer it to other jobs that are accessible to immigrants. Well, okay. They're accessible to immigrants with their levels of, of political and economic capital and social connections, which is usually really not that large. But the problem is, you know, as as with everything in the U.S., it's also often dangerous. Like the, the, the particular kind of sort of exposure and performance of femininity that you need to do this leaves these workers incredibly vulnerable to stalkers. And, you know, they, they face sort of constant like racial misogynist abuse. Um, Butterfly, which is a... a Toronto-based sex worker group released a report that said that half of all massage parlor workers reported some kind of threat to their safety at work. Jesus. Yeah, it's it's workplace is both incredibly dangerous, and then you know, and when 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 we're saying like threat to their workplace, that doesn't that's not even like that's not even counting the police. And if you've read anything about this, you'll read people saying things like massage parlors face constant police raids, and this is true, but. If anything, it understates how bad it actually is because uh, like Asian massage parlors are subjected to two different kinds of police raids that just happen constantly. Um, I'm going to read a thing from oh, BuzzFeed. Cool. Yeah, it's it's great. It's it's really fun. Uh, from, from 2016 to 2020, 94% of people arrested for unauthorized practice of a profession for any job requiring a license in New York uh, were Asian and 96% were women, according to data from the New York uh, Division of Criminal Justice Services. And while prostitution is a misdemeanor defense, unauthorized practice of a profession, which is the charge that covers unlicensed massage, along with roles like veterinary medicine and engineering, is a felony that carries higher penalty, including up to four years of jail time. Now, I'm I'm no expert, but that sure does sound like racism and misogyny. Yep. Well, because yep. like, yeah, there's an argument to be made. Like, if you're if you're moonlighting as a bridge engineer and you're not qualified, yeah, sure, maybe hey, that's wh- a felony. Robert, but Robert, <laughs> you're really just calling me out on on the pod, just right right in the now. Garrison, we've agreed not to talk about all of those people who died when that bridge collapsed that you built in Florida on that university campus. Nothing of value was lost. <laughs> no, it was Florida. Like that's why the, that's why the DA is not coming after you. <laughs> yeah. US government not pressing charges. It's Florida. Mhm. So okay, back to yeah. back to back to the racism yeah, and misogyny. Back, back, back to racism <laughs> and misogyny. It's like okay, so so you you have these raids that are like literally only like targeted against Asian massage workers. And then on top, and, and so that's type one. And then the second type of raid is that the other thing that happens at these places constantly are, uh, are these anti-prostitution and anti-trafficking raids. And I'm putting both of those in enormous quotations. Because, heavy, heavy quotation yeah, mark use. You know, I, this is okay. I, I'm yeah. going to go on a side tangent rant here, which is that like, okay, so like every single person who does reporting on this, and I don't know if this is like a journalistic standards thing, but like even the good reporting on this, they like almost always have like a section. That says, uh, oh, the, 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 the Georgia, like Georgia's like resources on sex trafficking says that, uh, uh, salon, uh, Asian salons are a, a place where there's a bunch of sex trafficking. And it's like, mm-hmm. really like this, this, this is what you're putting in your article about a bunch of people getting murdered by a racist dude. Like th- this is the thing that, that you're going to put in here. And, and you know, and and like th- this, this is sort of 
like all of that stuff that I talked about, like last episode about Robert Aaron Long, like all of the objectification and the racism and the horophobia and that like mixture of like desire and loathing, like the cops have this, but like also the journalists who are writing about this have this stuff. And the, even the people who don't are sort of just like picking up on the, on the sort of like avian racism. And so you get all this coverage that's just focused on like trying to figure out if there was sex work going on here. And, you know, and like I talked about last episode, like this is really dangerous because ex- exposing people, exposing these sites to police investigation means you get more of these stings. And, you know, like we, we, we mentioned at the beginning that uh, uh, Da Yongfeng, like no, none, no one she knew showed up to her funeral. And the reason that no one she knew showed up to her funeral is that uh, no one wanted to be at a place where there could potentially be cops so they wouldn't be deported. Right. Which yeah, how could like, anyone who knew her come to her funeral? Because yeah. that would be. Yeah. Well, and her her brother wanted to come, but the the like travel to the U.S. was was expensive enough that he was just like, "Yeah, we can't do this." Oof. And you know, and, and like, and I, I that the, these these anti trafficking anti prostitution raids are so common that two of the Atlanta victims have been arrested as part of raids like before this. And even though both of them are innocent, uh, Soon Chung Park was convicted of criminal trespassing anyways, again, which is like one of the most insane things I've ever heard in my life because she was arrested at the place where she worked and they convicted her of criminal trespassing because this entire system is made up of just like Robert Aaron long levels of of racism, but they have it. They have a legal outlet to do it, so they don't have to just go murder people. And and sometimes they still do murder people. Oh yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I mean, we we talked about very generous with that sometimes, Garrison. Yeah. I mean, there there, there there's a really horrific story of uh. There was there was a a Chinese sex worker who the NYPD like repeatedly attempted to force her at gunpoint to to have sex with them, and she refused. And they, so, and, you know, because, because she refused, uh, the NYPD kept doing raids on her and eventually she died because she jumped out a window trying to escape one of the raids. Oh God. Because these people Uh are just literal monsters. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, Soon Chung Park, like she's convicted of criminal trespassing and she gets, you know, the, the sort of particular American humiliation of being forced to wear an ankle monitor that you have to pay for around your house while being under house arrest. And I, I've, I've, I've talked about this with the journalists, but again, like there, this is an entire system full of Robert Aaron Longs. It's the judges, it's the prosecutors, it's the social workers, it's the journalists, it's the cops, and this is this is an incredible level of of systemic state violence that makes these already tenuous migrant worker communities even more vulnerable because, you know, if someone's harassing them, they can't call the cops because if the cops show up, it's like, oh, hey, it's good. This is, this is even worse than the harassment. And that's, I think, where I want to end here today on with things that can actually be concretely done about this to help spa workers and sex workers. Um, th- there's two proposals that spa and sex worker groups have been backing uh, one of which is just ending the licensing licensing requirement for massages because it's it's literally only ever used to target asian massage workers yeah that seems that seems like a good call yeah it's it definitely not is. the law but oh yeah 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 get, getting rid know, of it get, <laughs> like, getting rid of it yeah clarify there yeah yeah i mean it's you know like it, 
this this is my this is my like my mo- my most libertarian position is just being against like a lot of these licensing things because what's what's next a license to make toast Look, in it, your it, own it, toaster it, it, if it's a thing that people just do all the time uh and in fact cannot be stopped from doing under any circumstances then it shouldn't require a license to do like flying a plane like fly exact garrison <laughs> like flying a plane like performing surgery you know um like being a police officer just make everybody everything all licenses sorry i've lost the thread it's okay i mean well i i, mean, the, the, I think that the actual thread here though is that like you know okay so like yeah on, on the one hand in theory it is good to have licenses that that you know like have have a way to tell who knows how to do something and who doesn't right yeah but the thing is, that's, yeah, that's, not, that's not what the state does. <laughs> yeah, massage. Like, yeah, yeah, it's massage. And like, and the thing that the state actually does, even with licenses, like, and they, they 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 do this with driver's licenses. Like, even even with driver's licenses, which is the thing that, like, yeah, like people should know how to drive before you put them behind like the the the, the four wheel death machine. Like, what what do they do with it? It's like, oh, they use it to go after undocumented immigrants, because the state is just incredibly racist, and that this is the thing that's happening with the, with these licenses. Is yeah, they just they just do racism with it. Well, it's it's why you can't have like the common sense law would be like, oh, okay. Well, we're gonna have sex workers, so there should be some sort of system to make sure that people are getting tested for things and that basic, you know, certain safety procedures, or that at least people know what safety procedures are being, you know, used at the place or whatever. Um, but what it always boils down to is, uh, this is an excuse for police to fuck with vulnerable people. Yeah. The thing that this brings us to is the second proposal, which is just decriminalizing sex work. Like, don't prosecute people for this. Don't send the cops after them. Just don't do it. Like it, 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 it only ever causes violence against people who are already the like the most marginalized people. Doesn't in a, actually in a help against society. trafficking either. In yeah, fact, no. it makes it makes fighting against trafficking actually harder because yep. people mm-hmm. feel not able to talk about things when they see stuff that's questionable. It's it's, it's I'm, I'm sure we can do more content content. Um, I'm sure we can do more stuff about sex work in the future. Um, but yeah, it really should be uh, not a crime. Yeah, and and I think this is something like, you know, it's it. it, it, it it reminds me a lot of like of of the anti-trans stuff where it's like, okay, so you, you should yep, care about yep. this stuff because you should care about trans people. You should also care about this stuff because it affects people who are not trans. And this this is a this is this thing where these massage workers are like most of them are not sex workers and it doesn't matter at all. And it's the the the, the splash over effects are hitting them too. And yeah, the, the consequence of that is eight people are dead. Yep. Yep. Go help your lo- local sex worker organizations, and go help your help your local spa workers associations. Like, get rid of this licensing stuff and fight for decriminalization because this 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 kind of shit doesn't have to happen. And we can. This is something that we actually can concretely do and win that will make an, an enormous number of people whose lives are incredibly precarious enormously better. Yep. Okay. So. We have already seen before our eyes that uh, you can do you can do things that involve safety where the police are just useless. We we have seen we 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 have seen we have seen Zach. Wait, is his name Zach? Yeah, yeah. Zach is his name. Yeah, yeah. But 
Look, we have... He seems nice. He rules. We have seen Bodega Zack uh, outwit, like, outdo the entire police force, even after literally the guy called them to turn himself in, and Bodega Zack <laughs> still got there before they did. One so, man beat the entire <laughs> New York Police Department, this, this turned himself in, and left his wallet and gun <laughs> at the scene. <laughs> like... <laughs> you know, and again, this is this is this is this is this is a ten billion dollar police force. The thing that the thing that oh they God. mostly do is harass homeless people and sex workers. For the love of God, we don't need them. We could like literally one man could do their job for them. Uh, yeah, get get rid of them. Yeah, that sounds nice. Okay, well there we go. We did it. Happy episode, everybody. Yeah. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to fifteen hundred dollars again sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and game sense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park that's 1-800-GAMBLER Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. It's an introduction. Good for you. We did it. Uh, yeah, oh, I love it. that. <laughs> <laughs> what what show is this? Uh, this is this is it could happen here. Oh, a show that is uh, also currently in the middle of about seventeen thousand personnel disasters, but it's fine. Uh, yeah, I am I am Christopher Wong, and with me is Garrison. Hello. Hi. Good morning or afternoon or evening, depending on when you're listening. And also Sophie. Hello. Hi. So we are we are here to talk about something that is, I guess, technically over, but was extremely weird and did a lot of harm. And that is the very weird stuff that Texas General General Jesus, hopefully not. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who at this the point general was just like, of, <laughs> the general of Texas, Greg I, Abbott. I mean, like you're kind of not wrong, but I he don't wish, like that. He wishes, he wishes he was the general of Texas. I mean, I, I feel like that's me. One of those things where it's like that—that's when we know the coup started—is when he just oh, like yeah. promotes himself the general, <laughs> takes over Texas. Uh huh. So. Greg Abbott is extremely mad, and he's extremely mad because Biden finally decided to end one of like the absolute worst Trump era border policies, which is called Title Forty Two, and it's so Title Forty Two is like nominally an anti pandemic measure. It's like the the CDC. That's the one. I don't know why it took me like five seconds to remember the name of the CDC. The but, Central Defense Agency. Yeah. 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 That one. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's normally supposed to be a thing where it's like, okay, you can you you cut off migrants from coming into the country because there's a risk of a pandemic. Now, okay, if 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 you have lived the last two years, you know that the U.S. just literally does not give a single shit about the pandemic at all. Like, especially it's not even pretending. Texas. Yeah, yeah. And so this this whole thing really has just been a justification to just boot out and just prevent every like asylum seeker and refugee. An immigrant from getting into the country and you know and you can tell this because uh the the t- title 42 when it was originally invoked didn't cover people who were like driving trucks across the border like it didn't cover economic activity of course not yeah so it's 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 just a way for the u.s to like not have asylum seekers and biden let this go for like another fucking year while he was in office uh-huh and so he like it, it, like like late last month he like he finally got rid of it and you know i i this means that uh, like immigrants and refugees now once again have their legal right under both American and international law to petition for asylum, which, again, the U.S. doesn't give a shit about because, you know, the U.S. doesn't care about laws unless they do bad things. But this finally happens. And Greg Abbott, who is once again, we must remind everyone that Greg Abbott is, is running for election in November. He and sure is. Thus is. He's it's thus just literally running through the entire right wing, like every single right wing scare we can possibly think of. And don't worry, Chris. Don't worry, Chris. Beto will get him. I I, be- I believe it. I I believe in Beto this time. Oh, I- he's gonna lose by like thirty points. <laughs> Landslide. 
You know, well, okay, so the, the thing that could stop him from this is Greg Abbott decides to do like two PR stunts. And one of them is he's taking buses of of immigrants yeah. and asylum seekers and just busing them to DC. And I, I want to talk about this for a little like a, a second because like this is really shitty. And that shouldn't be legal. Yeah. That shouldn't be allowed to you're really basically traffic you're trafficking yeah. people across the country for a political stunt. That's like yeah. that that shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> Yeah, and like, and like, I think like everyone's like, oh, this is political stunt. Like, it is, but like, the thing with American political stunts is that real people get hurt constantly. Yeah, and we're we're gonna come back to that theme more in a second as we talk about the second stunt that he did, which was so essentially what Abbott did is there are an enormous number of trucks that cross the 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 U.S. Mexican border into Texas like every day, right? I mean. There, like there, there are individual bridges that are moving 60, 60 to seventy million dollars of just produce, like every day, and so that produce when it when it comes into the U.S. it goes through a bunch of checks by the border patrol and stuff, and there's all these checks and this is this whole thing. But uh, Abbott went on this incredibly bizarre rant about, well, I mean it's not bizarre, I guess if you're right when we went on this rant about how, like the cartels and there's immigrants and we need to stop them, and so. Ooh, he, very scary. Yeah, yeah, it, it's really weird. It's, it's, okay, okay, so he's he's doing all this weird fear mongering, and he's like, okay, uh, we need to stop these people from getting across the border, so we're gonna inspect all of these trucks, which again, like they're already being inspected by the feds. Like yeah. this is this is this is you know this is where like the horrible ice budget is going right. So he he does this, and he he calls in a bunch of just like the border patrol to just literally do all of the same checks again. And this has an enormous economic impact. Um, I'm going to read a, a quote from the American statesman. The delays have resulted in a 60% drop in commercial traffic at the border, according to US, U.S. Customs and Border Protections. The agency said the delays are a direct result of, quote, additional and unnecessary inspections being conducted at Abbott's request. I, I, I do like that the same people who were shooting moms in Portland in 2020 are now inspecting produce at the Texas yeah. border. Yeah, <laughs> it's... It's pretty wild. I mean, I think I think there, there, there's an important thing to note here, right? It's like, okay, so why why are these the people who are like doing both these things? And the answer is that like the, the, the those organizations, like the the thing that they're designed to do is to protect the interests of American capital. And you know, so the interests of American capital are we need to move capital across the we need to move goods across the border, and uh, we need to just like absolutely obliterate like a bunch of teenagers who don't like us. <laughs> so those are, those are... <laughs> that is pretty much their bit. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I know we've talked a, a, in, the, in the past about U.S. like customs and border and border protections and the weird, the, the weird like agencies and weird kind of almost militias that they operate and how they get deployed into certain areas if they're you know x x miles away from the border. Um, it would be worth talking about more in depth in the future because I know Robert's done some historical background on them for yeah. bastards. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think yeah, that is something I would I would be down to talk more about. Yeah, although I think they like, are the, a very bizarre agency. Yeah, they're, they're very weird. They're also really not like in, in this story. They're basically just sitting there being mad because it's taking is, longer to get stuff. That across is a the border. lot of what they do. Yeah, and and you know because because again, like the, these these actual these inspections are being run by like state troopers. Okay. Okay. And. You because, know, because because Abbott has more direct control over state. Yeah, troopers. yeah, because uh, yeah, Ab Ab Abbott has direct power over them, and this means that like the, the so, okay, so you, you have your truck, right? Your truck has a bunch of produce in it. You're moving it across the border. Um, this usually takes about two hours of you know being like sitting there in a truck while your stuff, your everyone's cargo gets inspected and stuff. 
Um, Which I will say, the truckers don't even get paid for that when they're waiting yeah, two hours. Yeah, and 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 you know what would make that worse? Oh yeah, now it takes between ten and thirty hours because Abbott right. intentionally, on purpose, was like, okay, we're we're just we're gonna put six thousand like people total to do this whole thing, and so you know, like hundreds of millions of dollars of produce, like things like onions and tomatoes and avocados, are just sitting in these trucks rotting in the Texas heat. Yep. I yep, mean, yep. hopefully the trucks are refrigerated, but still. Well, the trucks are refrigerated, but like the people in them. I'm sure, I'm sure the cabins are not. Yeah, I'm sure it gets mighty. Well, you know, I, 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 I do have some family who were truckers and some of the cabins can be nice. But still, that's sitting for 30 hours without getting paid because you only get yeah. paid when you are moving, um, which is a, uh, not a great way to, you know, run our entire economy. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read a quote. I'm going to read a section from the a paragraph from the Texas Tribune. Felix, a 60-year-old Mexican trucker who was transporting tomatoes, onions, and avocados, waited about 13 hours in line at the bridge. He has to be identified only by his first name for fear of retribution and targeted inspections from CPB officials. Hearing of the delays at the border, he packed water and food for a few days. But other truckers didn't come as prepared and were sitting in standstill traffic without anything to eat or drink. Felix said he was told by a CPB official that the agency would be putting portable bathrooms along the bridge for the gridlock truckers, but he never saw them. Once Felix made it to the state trooper's inspection point around 9 p.m., he said they didn't even peer into his truck, which had been sealed since Mexican authorities inspected it about 600 miles away in the state of Sinaloa. There's no possibility of bringing illegal immigrants in the merchandise or in the cabin, he said, referencing one of Abbott's explanations for the inspections. I can't bring any illegal immigrants here for money because I know inspectors are going to discover them. It's not a thing here. I don't know what the politicians' ideas are. I don't know what they're talking about. So that seems not good. That seems pretty yeah, bad. Yep. It's it's really bad. And and like again, like this is this whole thing is nonsense. Like th I, there's nothing. I, I didn't even th I didn't even think about having to you know use the bathroom for thirty yeah. hours. <laughs> yeah, and, and and like the thing the thing with this is like this the the backups are eight miles long. So, like, if you want to go to the bathroom, you have to walk for, like, miles, depend depending on where you are in this backup. And, you know, th this is having, like, these just enormous horrifying, like, this has these, like, these, these enormous horrifying knock-on effects. Um, because, you know, it's not just the truckers who are being affected by this. There's a bunch of workers whose job it is, you know, just to process these goods, right? To take them out of trucks, put them onto American trucks to, like, sort through the vegetables and figure out, like which ones are good and which ones are not. And again, like just enormous amounts of just produce that is like fresh and good to eat. is just being intentionally destroyed because it's being forced to sit at the border for this long. Uh, there's a bunch of these people whose, whose job, like who, who are contract workers, whose job it is to like go through this stuff and they're all getting fired because they're yeah. like, there's no work for them to do. Um, there's all of these people who like, their their jobs or they run bodegas or they run like like they run restaurants they they run a bunch of stuff on the border for these truckers and they yeah, also yeah. don't have any work and those people have to on a day by day like it, it's like it I think it's like fifteen hundred dollars per day to rent a terminal in in like Dear the god yeah and wow. they're, they're making nothing and it, it, it it's 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 horrifying there's all there's this just enormous economic devastation that that that's been sort of like you know that 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 that's been happening because of this and. Well, you know, you know what else reminds me of economic devastation? Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> the fact that the oh. fact that our paychecks are uh, solely reliant on the products and services that support this podcast. It's true. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about the problems they're having 
in a second after this break. Yep, one second. Wow, that was a that was a fast second. Wow, that just that that flew right by. Time is not real. Destroy the clocks. The scientists are the police. All right. Well, uh, what's well, next? Well, it is a second if you press fast forward. Oh, if, if you press the <laughs> if, you, if if you press the thirty second button four times, yes. Yes. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta be real speedy. Now, th- this is having other problems because as as we talked about at the show, literally ad nauseum, our supply chains are really bad. And it turns out, yeah, that, that, that does seem to yeah. be a recurring character on the pod. Is that supply chains, uh, not the most stable thing we've invented? Yeah, and and especially with especially with 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 fruit and vegetables. Well, okay, I mean, like we we'll be getting some of the other supply chains that are like fucked because of this. But like fruit and vegetables in particular, like the 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 way that we do them, they're they're designed to be in motion for like a very specific amount of time, so that when they show up to you, they're ripe. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you add a few hours onto that, it, everything falls apart. And this, like, I, I'm not sure if it happens because I'm not in Texas, I, but there was there were a bunch of articles that were talking about like, yeah, like avocados in Texas are going to cost five more dollars. Like, like a single avocado's price is going to increase by like five dollars over the weekend because, like, because it was just the enormous amount of produce that's that's being destroyed here. And you know, uh, the, the, there's there's a lot of other stuff going on here because American and Mexican supply chains are enormously integrated from now. I mean, they've always been integrated to some extent, but like, yeah, particularly post NAFTA, there's a lot of like auto supply chains in particular that are, that are tied to, to plants in Mexico. And you actually, this occasionally has like interesting effects. Like Mexico's has a lot of auto strikes and you get like, you'll, you'll get these things where like people will like tuck messages into like auto parts and like send them to the U S people will open these messages from like a, a worker in Mexico to, yeah, you need this. And it's, it's, it's cool. There, there's lots of, there's interesting stuff there, but this also means that like, yeah. So if those parts aren't moving across the border, those just in time production schedules are, uh, even more Omega screwed than they've been already. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. There, there, there's been a lot of sort of, economic stuff on uh, that's been happening here and you know the other people who are getting just completely screwed by this are the, are the mexican truckers yeah and so yeah it, it, so, so so this this starts on april 6th um on monday april 11th i uh, the truckers are just like fuck this and they start just completely blockading the the the, the largest border crossing between like it's, it's on this giant bridge they start they literally just blockade the bridge and like prevent any goods from from getting in and this this has an enormous impact because again, like you know, it, it was going like yeah, it was production was down by forty by sixty percent, but that means still means that forty percent of the goods are getting through. And now is you know, and by 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 the eleventh, it's just nothing. Um, I, I do I do hope the one the one good thing that can come out of the whole Canada COVID isn't real protest um, is that people have learned that uh, blocking off supply chains is a really effective way to do protest. Yeah. Because um, you can stop the import of thousands and millions and billions of dollars of trade um, pretty easily, actually. And yeah. it would be cool if more people realize, hey, obviously the COVID stuff that we're talking about and the whole overthrowing the government part um, to install a right-wing dictator, that part's obviously bad. But uh, some of their tactics were actually pretty interesting. Yeah, we're we're gonna get more into that, uh, like later. Good, but, good, good, good. Yeah, I mean, I I will say, like, I think that the thing with the U.S. is that, like, I think there's been a lot of focus on the American left on ports because, you know, yeah, like, yeah, th- there's a lot of reasons for that. But like, yeah, you could do this with border crossings too, and the 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 the, the Mexican truckers blockade was really effective. I mean, th- okay, so 
that's this has been a thing where it's 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 kind of hard to get information from. I saw a few like newspapers talking about um like cartel people like like attacking the blockade and lighting trucks on fire to try to force goods to go through again which it's possible i i don't know um but this you know once once there are like once the block like the border is completely blockaded this completely changes like the entire political situation because now like you know abbott's been running this thing sort of as a political stunt and as this game he's playing with you know he's supposed he's trying to play a game with biden right and he's like okay well yeah you got to do something about the border or whatever like you know he's he's been challenging biden over like immigration bullshit but you know now now there's a there's a third party involved and that third party is the mexican truckers and now and now abbott's not just in a it's like abbott's in a confrontation with the people that he needs to make the entire texan economy run yep and this starts going very badly for him. And the other thing uh-huh. that starts going very badly for him is that I, uh, it turns out if you shut down cross-border trade, you really, really piss off the bourgeoisie. Turns out, turns out that'll happen if you ain't careful. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. And, and you know, and and, and, and I, I think I should mention, like, stress this, like, they're pissed off on both sides of the border. And, like, obviously you could talk about the extent to which, like, yeah, the, the, they're the same class. But, like, capitalists on both sides of the border start exerting their political pressure because they're, I mean, they're losing enormous amounts of money off of this. That's what they do. Yeah. You and, take you know, away I, their ability to do capitalism as capitalists, they're going to be mad. Yeah, which, again, you'd think, you would think that the Abbott would, like, get this. Uh-huh. He just, he, yeah. it, it seems to have not occurred to him that he was going to piss off, like, either that or, like, he, he thinks he didn't care enough and thought it wouldn't matter, but, like, no, it turns out, it, like, you know, Impressive. one of the things that happens, yeah, it's, it's amazing, like, he, he's, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I, I think this is, this is, you know, I, th- I think this is, this is sort of a symptom of, like, people lose, like, right-wing politicians losing sight of what their actual base is, because, like, this is all, this is all supposed to be, like, campaign trail, feeding the anti-immigrant base, but, like, you know, you 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 are a politician in the U.S. Your actual constituency is the capitalists, and <laughs> so, and like you have an actual job, and that's to make the economy keep going yeah, and keep yeah. the people in power to have all the power. Uh, like you're not just like that's one interesting thing that Trump was kind of one of the first big um, indicators for, which is like a politician now is just the endless cycle of campaigning, and they don't actually have a job. It's just always campaigning, and they're just always campaigning. Uh, and they're like, oh, I guess I should do my actual job that I was elected for, or I could just do more rallies. And that seems like it would be less work. Yeah, uh, well, but I, I think I think with Trump, it was like there was always an extent to which the bureaucracy kept functioning, and so you know, like like he like Trump got Trump got the tax cut, right? Yeah, and like he didn't really start getting in trouble with them until he started doing the anti-China stuff, which was sort of a disaster because there was a lot of people who turned out like need those trade connections to make money. And you saw like, and it, like it was weird. There was a very weird thing. Like you started to see so even some of his like like domestic like small business base started to get really mad at him because he's putting all these sanctions up, and it's like, oh hey, look, all these sanctions mean that uh, all these people who are reliant on Chinese supply chains have to pay this stuff. And and Abbott Abbott has like done this in microcosm, and like the, these these people like they start, they start going to the press. Um, I'm gonna read a quote from Bloomberg. Uh, some retailers, particularly those in, gro- in in the grocery industry, have experienced supply chain delays resulting from the extended wait times along the Me- Texas-Mexico border, John McCord, the executive director of Texas Retailers Association, wrote in an email. So, like, you know, these are, like, 
like the, the Texas Retail Association is like this is like the most Republican solidly institution in the country. And and you can watch them over time. Like these people are getting really mad. Like one of uh uh was like like one one of Abbott's like I forget the exact title, like what one of Abbott's like secretaries like they're like the secretary or some one of the like economic bureaus was like, yeah, man, uh, avocados are going to cost five more dollars. Uh, and you know, you this, know, th- this really hits me hard because everyone knows this about me. I care a lot about retail. Um, retail is like my one of my big por- core personality <laughs> traits. Um, and you know who else wants you to care about retail? Oh my goodness! Is it the Washington State Patrol? That is right, Sophie. It's the Washington State Patrol. Our 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 good friends. Um. So here here is some here are some messages about about how you can improve your retail decisions. Okay, I I, I can't find this George Bush quote that I was going to use as a bit. So that's fine. Instead of that, we will return to this. And you know, one one thing I think we should also mention is if you ran into this on Twitter. Um, you will see a lot of videos of people like Democrats, like standing at the border and pointing at the trucks and going, uh, this is, this, this is Abbott attempting to like make inflation to get worse by sabotaging the economy. Cringe. And like cringe, cringe moment. Yeah. Like, okay. Like I, 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 I cannot rule out that this was like a part of what he wanted to do, but that's not really why he's doing this. Like this, this is, this is like mostly, and I, I saw people talking about like, Oh, this is like the, the, the truckers blockades in Chile. And I'm like, no, no, no it's not <laughs> at all. Like, the, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yes. Ch- Chile has a bunch of right, had had a bunch of right wing anti-communist truckers unions that tried to shut down the government, but like, that's not what's happening here. This is the state and Abbott's trying to do this as like an immigration PR thing. Like this isn't, like he he's not actually he's not actually trying to destroy the government because the, the 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 only way you can get stuff like that is if like is 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 if the capitalist class is like genuinely afraid that they're about to get like like wiped out by communists and uh it turns out that I, Biden I is not about to no. communize the entire US. I don't think like, that's actually a looming threat at the moment. No. I, and so yeah, yeah, it's like no, it's like it's it's not it's not really about that like it's 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 mostly about this sort of this sort of like border game that the commies are coming for your avocados. <laughs> well, I mean, th- this is sort of this is the the, the interesting thing here because it's like y- y- you have this really weird scenario where like it's it, it's it's the right wing governor like shutting down the flow of commodities and yeah, like yes. the liberals are like <laughs> we must restore the flow of commodities and uh-huh. like the bourgeoisie are like we must restore the flow of commodities and like even the cartels to some extent are like come on like we all we all need the border open uh it yeah. really it, it it really does just showcase the entire bit yeah you, you know but i mean like the, the the we've been talking a lot about the human cost of this and the reason this stuff works is because American politics is literally just a machine that turns human suffering into stories and then turns those stories into percentage points at the polls. And that's Abbott's entire... Wait. Am I getting him confused with... No, Greg Abbott's the governor. I, I, I momentarily got him confused with the UK guy, Tony Abbott, who nope. is also bad in very similar ways. Yeah, but... Yeah, I, but think, like, I think we're allowed to have two bad Abbots. 
Yeah, I, I thought there was one in Australia too, but well, <laughs> you might you be bad at, the bad habits are multiplying. Someone has yeah. got to get on this. We need we need to deal with the Anglosphere before they produce a fourth produce a fourth one, and we get the four horsemen of the apocalypse. That would be funny if we just have four abbots bring in <laughs> the apocalypse. Uh, yeah, but, but but I think I think that the thing that's important to understand about like about abbot is like that that everything that abbot does is just about inflicting suffering on people and trying to use that to 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 do polls right like he he yeah. has genuine right wing beliefs but like the timing I mean, of everything that he does yeah is like this that's what all of his that's what that's that's what all his anti trans stuff is is that he could beat his primary challenger who was trying to campaign a little bit further to the right than abbot was yeah and, and this is the thing where. Like politicians are allowed to play games with real people's lives. Like that that's their job, right? That's like, their that's, entire that's how bit. you get elected. But they're allowed to do this up until the exact moment at which those real people are the bourgeoisie. And the moment and this is this is the thing that Abbott is learning is that you can do these kind of stunts all you want. Like you can you can like you can shoot every trans kid. You can like I don't know, like you can you can ban like every school from like saying the word race, but you can't fuck with the bourgeoisie and you know th- this is this, this is the problem that he has is by by like by like the middle of last week he has the like the ruling class is turning on him the truckers are blockading the bridges are preventing all travel and abbott is like basically scrambling to find a way out and the the, the thing that he does to do this is he like he goes to a bunch of mexican governors who who are like the, the governors of border states and these governors had like sent him letters being like, hey, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, we need we like we, we, we need our economies to function. Can 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 you actually do this? And you know, so he starts doing these negotiations with them where he's like, Well, okay, if you guys like inspect all of these trucks or whatever before and you ensure that there's no immigrants in them or whatever before they get here, like we'll reopen the borders. And, you know, so they do this. And and I think there's a couple interesting things about this. One is that most of these, I think there's one guy who's from the PRI, but like almost all of these governors are from the PAN, which is Mexico's like far right wing party. And mm. like these guys, these guys are also like hard right, like war on drug hardliners who hate immigrants. And and this, this has been another big part of how the sort of border regime works, which is that like, yeah, on the one hand you have, you have Abbott and you have like Texas. So you have just the U S government, like projecting its power, like into Mexico, which is, you know, a, a, another big part of what this is. But the other part of it is, has been the U S essentially outsourcing its, its border regime and border policy just in like to Mexico. And so you get a lot of, there, there's been a lot in the last, especially during the Trump administration. Uh, I mean, it goes back much further than that, but like in the, in the last like five years, there've been a lot of really egregious examples of just like border patrol shit, but by the Mexican police, because a, it turns out there's also a bunch of people in Mexico who, fucking hate Central American refugees and B, uh, the police are the police literally everywhere. And yeah, I mean, and this this also for example, like this this is how this is how a lot of the border regime stuff works in um in Europe. Uh Frontex, the European border like thing makes detail like makes like basically just negotiates with like literally every like I don't even know what you call them like border state, I guess, in Africa to like ensure that refugees coming up to north africa like don't ever get to europe and like this is they, they made deals with gaddafi they made deals with the people who came after gaddafi um yeah there's it, it, the, the border system is horrible 
And this is sort of the border system like working as intended. Now, the the, the other thing that we should mention is that like, <laughs> okay, so they're, they're stopping and like supposedly searching all of these trucks and they find literally nothing the entire time. Because like there's there's you know there's never anything there, but you get all these press conferences that were like, well yeah, of course there was nothing. It's because the cartels were tipped off of of the raid because we did press uh-huh. conferences about it, and that's why they we, didn't smuggle we announced, stuff in. We announced the thing that we were going to do, so it gave them a chance to outsmart us. Wow. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Um. So that that that's been fun. Um. And it, the last thing I want to talk about, yeah, which is part of what we were talking about earlier, which is that like. Yeah, this is the second time this year that we've seen right-wingers like block, block off a border for political reasons, and I think there's a few interesting things here. Um, one is that this is the kind of stuff that from like basically from the start of Occupy and even a bit before then, until like the Bernie campaign, this was like the core of like what Marxists were thinking about in the US, and also anarchists to some extent. Like, if, if, if you go and read anything from that period, like it's all about logistics and counter-logistics, and how you can like disrupt them, and whether or not we should try to take control of logistics. And you know, and I think you see here like like attacking logistics is a very powerful political tool, but it's a tool that has like limited, um, like it, it, it has limited utility for the right because you know, the, the right depends on the backing of capitalists for the politics to work. They, 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 they really, really need buy-in from capitalists and those capitalists need cross-border trade. And you know, and the other thing, like they, they also need, they also need migrant workers to make their money. And if you cut that stuff off, your political base starts to collapse. And the, the second part of it that's interesting is you, you get to see how powerful this is as a weapon for, you know, like the working class because of just like how instantaneously uh, Abbott backed down when the, <laughs> the trucking blockade starts. Because this, this this is all over. Um, Last Friday, I think the what date is that? That was good uh, Friday. I mean, it the, the goodest, 15th the yeah. goodest the goodest friday yeah the the, the 15th uh abbot was like oh oh it's all over uh we secured the border yeah <laughs> everything secured fine. the border sure buddy okay yeah but you know and you but you, like that's the thing like you you can see like yeah you you got to see you got to see a rare moment of like mexican workers and also like the the sort of international capitalist class working on the same side and you got to see how fast they just like clobbered their politicians because yeah, like yeah, like the, the state is the state is a powerful force, but it turns out it's it's class politics all the way down. And and I think I don't know between, between this and Canada, I, I think there's a couple of interesting things. One is which okay yeah, you like if if you're on the left, like already automatically you're going to be fighting a, the, the the capitalist business owners are just always mad at you. Yeah, so that, that, that's you, less of a concern. You will face more suppression immediately. Obviously, this yeah. is this is this is how the game is played. Yeah, you'll you'll face more suppression immediately, but it's also like that. That's not like a your base turning on you. Like that problem doesn't stem from capitalists not making money. The problem you have with your base turning on you is about being being able to provision supplies to people. And I think this is you know, uh, Garrison, you, you you know more about this than I do, but I will finish this sentence and then stop talking. Which is that like, like yeah, if, if you look at Canada, it was like part of the reason their occupations failed was that like yeah, like just like a bunch of ordinary people got really, really mad at them because their whole, their cities were being locked down. Yeah. Yeah. They started impacting not just the economic drivers, but the people who live in those areas 
regularly and need them to operate. And that gave politicians enough of, enough of an incentive to be like, see, it's actually hurting real people. It's not just hurting the economy, but it's hurting, you know, your grandma who could be living in like Ottawa or something, right? So when you when you use these tactics, it's about balancing the propaganda of like not severely impacting the people who actually live in these places very much, but but targeting the economics policies and the, you know, you know, the the corporate elite or whatever kind of framing you want to use. Because as as soon as you start doing tactics that just hurt, you know, regular people, that is such an immediate like propaganda uh L, as the kids would say. Um <laughs> be, because yeah, you, you're but you're just giving them the tools to easily fight you back. And yes, they're gonna they're gonna try to invent tools to 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 stop you no matter what. Like they're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna try to do something via propaganda lens but there's some propaganda is way easier and uh much harder than others yeah. so i think a big part of these types of things when you're starting to like block off you know routes to cities block off supply chains as you need to be um, cognizant of making sure that the people who you're like immediately next to kind of thinks that you're also cool because that can give you so much more legs i mean we mm -hmm. saw this in the red house in portland there was a there was a lot of effort um to make the immediate neighbors not hate the occupation there to to stop the family from being evicted um and there was a lot of debate around like how much graffiti should be allowed in the surrounding area because uh you know you don't want to piss off the neighbors too much yeah. and now this can obviously stem in bad directions in terms of like there was then like self-appointed security guards like beating up and shooting people with paintballs who were doing graffiti which is obviously like not Great. Yeah, and not yeah. not how you do good anarchism, um, but then there was other stuff being like, no, we should just trash this area anyway. It's all in the process of being gentrified, which I mean it, it is. But you're like, yes, I understand that emotional impulse, um, and you may be right in a lot of senses, like like more like more correct morally. But to play the propaganda game to actually stop a black family from being evicted, maybe we can actually look at this at a more tactical level. Yeah, and and I think that there's a lot of examples, of things we can learn from strikes. That do this very efficiently. Like one of the thing, one of the reasons the the Wildcats in West, the Wildcat teacher strikes in West Virginia in 2017 worked, was that the striking teachers in West Virginia were very very careful about making sure that they did things like you know like making making sure that kids got like the meals that the that the school would have been yeah yeah like providing like like you know like this is why this is why mutual aid is extremely important because yeah. it lets you it lets you provision services not just when they collapse because of like you know oh hey the government's doing weird stuff or like there's a plague it lets you do it lets you shut down logistics lines yourself and still have community support and still be able to provide people to things that provide people things that they need and this is like you know if, if you carry this all the way to like the macro macro level it's like yeah, okay. So like why did why did the Russian Revolution not work and, you know, like like why did the Paris Commune fail? And it's like, well, yeah, it's because instead of like giving peasants things, they went into the countryside and shot them into attempting to get those things. And it's like, yeah, like you you have to what 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 whatever the thing that you're doing is in 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 your sort of like base area, right? Whatever you're like, okay, you're you're doing a strike, you're shutting down a bridge, you're like, you know, you're blocking a border, you're shutting down a port, right? You, you you have to make sure you're constantly expanding and building out support outside outside of that outside of that action and making sure you're 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 able to provision the people who are affected by it. And if you don't do this, you end up like Abbott, and it's like, yeah, you, you know, he Ab Abbott had like the entire power 
of the American state behind him, and he was able to keep this up for, like, less than two weeks. Yeah. Before he had to just pull out. So, yeah, we can do this better and for things that are good and in ways that don't hurt people, or at least hurt people significantly less. Or, you know, don't not hurt the wrong people. Instead, yeah. try to try to hurt the right people. Just like yeah. an or- incredible lack of, like, thinking. That's my that's my summary is do yeah. better. <laughs> do think well, I, like yeah, and, and I think also like again like, like Abbott, Abbott's politics like is entirely about like inflicting cruelty on people, right? And ours like shouldn't be and should, it shouldn't. Like, yep, it yeah, should not and, be. And the, the fact that we actually care about people makes our politics more effective. Well, <laughs> well I guess I should. I in should, I should in theory, in theory, they should. Um, and any time where we may take a misstep from that, I think is a is a big loss. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's one more strike thing that I just remembered that I was going to talk about, which is I, so these also trains a lot. There's, there's a type of strikers name I'm forgetting because I'm a hack and a fraud where like <laughs> the people, the people, the people, people will just like take over a train and they'll run it, but they just won't take fares. That is incredibly big. Yeah. And you know, so that, that's, that's, that's like level one of it. And then level two of the strike is instead of just, we're on strike, but we're running the service and not taking any money. It's we now control this train, and that that has happened on several occasions. <laughs> and well, yeah, you heard do that. It. It's cool. You heard it here first. Take over your local train. Um, it could happen here. We could we we can do it. Um, yep, anarchism can make the trains run on time. Oh, I I am not sure about that, Chris. <laughs> punk punk time is a is an unstoppable well, force. Okay, okay, but here here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? Like punk time, like. Okay, so you don't have the punks running the trains. You have the okay. train nerds running the trains. You have okay. people who should spend all of their time uh, playing train simulator running the trains. Okay, that's And the trains fair. will run great. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> all right, that is, that is completely fair. Um, where can people find you and or the show on the internet? Uh, you can find me at itmechr3 on Twitter if you want to do that for some reason uh you can find us at happen here pod on twitter and instagram uh there's also the cool zone we have cool stuff. zone media uh-huh. yeah we have a we have a new podcast that is coming uh sophie do you want do you want to yeah, do we, plug have, this we podcast? actually we actually got we got two new ones for you coming soon we have a uh, ghost church by jamie loftus episode one is out april 25th and then we have cool people who did cool stuff hosted by margaret killjoy trailer is out next week and episode one is out on may 2nd check both of them out they both so many rule. so many pods in the pipe as we say <laughs> that, that, that is that is the technical term quote, yeah yeah pods yeah, in the, the pipe the, the, these these are genuinely legitimately very good shows and you should listen to them and i'm really excited so yeah Yay. all right well thank you for listening and uh go go take over a train Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. 
you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Greetings, listeners, in the podcast verse. This is It Could Happen Here, the podcast about things falling apart and sometimes how we can put stuff back together. I'm Garrison Davis, our resident uh, gender mess. Uh, In the past few weeks, we've been talking a lot here on the show about the escalating war on trans people and queer folks in general. There's been a wave of bills making any gender-affirming healthcare a felony for people under the age of 18, uh, which forcibly detransitions teenagers in multiple states. And we've had a lot of banning trans people from participating in sports and trying to ban books and discussion in schools about just the existence of queer people at all. But today, we're not really going to be talking about that. We've talked about that plenty for the past few weeks. It's good to have a little little bit of a break. But we'll still be talking about stuff around trans people, because with all the discussion around gender-affirming healthcare, I thought it would be a good idea to put something together talking about what HRT, or hormone replacement therapy, actually is, since it's the most common form of trans healthcare. And since many states are trying to, or already have criminalized it, Perhaps I can use the pod to point people towards 
alternative means of receiving care, you know, in the vein of the putting stuff back together uh, side of the show. Now, I want to clarify uh, up front that we're not giving anyone medical advice, obviously. I'm just making observations and talking about things as they exist um, and talking about things that many trans people have been doing for a long time, and that includes DIY HRT. My doctorate program is in parapsychology, not medical science, so just keep that in mind. First, I will quickly clarify what HRT, or hormone replacement therapy, uh, actually is uh, for specifically non-cisgender individuals, because HRT as a term is also used for cis women to describe similar but different treatment. So HRT, as a form of gender-affirming treatment, uh, is when someone receives sex hormone medication that produces a number of desired secondary sex characteristics. There are two broad types of hormone therapy that one would receive depending on what direction you want to go in, gender-wise. There's feminizing hormones and masculinizing hormones. Feminizing hormones produce more typically feminine traits, right? Big, big shocker there. Uh, it, it, it usually uh, consists of a form of estrogen, usually called estradiol. There's different types of estradiol. And also it can include uh, anti-androgens, aka testosterone blockers. Masculinization therapy consists of taking testosterone, or androgens, and then also less commonly anti-estrogens, but usually just taking testosterone will suffice. Now, I'm no expert in hormones, uh, despite my weekly e-shot, but lucky enough, I was able to sit down with an actual expert on hormones and talk over Zoom. So what follows is segments from our conversation. I guess first, uh, do you want to uh, introduce yourself? Sure. I am the Reverend Dr. Victoria Luna B. Grieve. Uh, I am an assistant professor at the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy. Uh, my primary clinical focus is on gender affirming hormone therapy, uh, other kind of advocacy work in queer healthcare, and I do a lot of other stuff on the side, pedagogy, ludic instructional design, game design, just anything that strikes my fancy, really. Fun, fun stuff. In, with, within kind of our, our coverage of trans stuff the past few weeks and months, it's been mostly on like the bills and like the politics side of things. I've definitely had some people like reach out and be like, okay, but how, like, why, why transgender? Why, why hormones? Like, why are hormones actually important? Like, could you actually explain, like, what, like, you know, with all of these, all these states banning hormones, let's, I, I would like to kind of explain why it's such a big deal and like how much these things actually are like life saving medication for so many people. Yeah. So why hormones? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it because it's a question that as like a species we've been we, we have known the answer to for like 5,000 years. It's it's very funny. But um, hormones are okay. A big part of this requires to like acknowledge something that is very wrong in in like the medical literature. There's a lot of elements of healthcare that are coordinated between like male and female, and there's a kind yes, of obviously, like yeah. Uh, obviously is a little so there's a oh, lot of I, I, mean, I mean like from like from people's i know when trans people talk about interacting with the medical system it's always like oh yes we're going to be doing this bullshit yes of course that yeah is, well 
But, but it even goes to a, like a really deep level. Like if you're in the hospital and you get a CBC count, there's a male profile and a female profile of what your hematocrit should be on like what the level of red blood cells are. And, and the general understanding in like the health industry is that there's a biological anatomical difference between them. And for the longest time, certainly in this country, trans women would have would be compared against the male profiles. Yes. Yeah. But but it's nonsense. It's actually should be thought of in form of hormone dominance because the vast majority of medical differences are not anatomical, they are hormonal. Yeah. And, and that right there should should give the game away a little which bit. Which is really funny, which is why I which is why I kind of hate the term biological woman whenever people start using that, because that's not really how biology works. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, it, the, the joke is my, my nesting partner, my fiance, wishes that she could be a robot. And then if she were to do that and upload her brain into an immortal robot body, she would no longer be a biological woman, but she would still be a woman. It's just cybernetic. Yeah. Um, I hate that. It's like organic. Organic just means it has carbon in it. Like, give me a break. Yes. So, so yeah. <laughs> hormones. What's, yes. what's, what's the deal? Do they, because I know all of like, people will be like, well, all of these trans people sure do seem sad. I want that's how how what, how can we make things better? Does this thing actually work? Oh, well, so it's somewhat multifactorial. I, I have a friend who does um, cell imaging and her like working theory, which I'm, I'm a little dubious of, is that like the brains of trans people like have receptors for hormones that the body doesn't make. And we should think of being transgender as having like a form of hypogonadism. Yeah, but, there's, there's a lot of different trains of thought there in terms but, of the different theories of why trans people exist and how it's like you know, girl's brain, boy's body, blah, 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 blah. Which all, if you dig deep enough, goes back to eugenics. So it's all fucking yeah, nonsense. I've never, I hate I've, it. I've always not liked that model. I've always, yeah. it's always, I've always found it to be a little bit uncomfortable because Same. I, I take hormones because I want to. And I don't think it's because my, my, my brain is like secretly looking for girl receptors or something. Right. Right. I, I totally agree. Like, it also requires a certain, like, extremely binary understanding of gender, which I also do not ascribe to. So it's a very, like, odd thought. But putting aside all of that, if you just wanted to look at the, like, why people want hormones, because when a person who wants hormones gets the hormones they want, their suicidality goes down, their uh, anxiety, depression goes down, gender dysphoria, if you wanted to you know, talk about the problems with that, go, essentially like goes away uh, and they, get, they start to get treated like the way they want to be treated in society. So from the, if, if you want to look at it, not from like the causes, but from the results, giving gender affirming hormone therapy to a person who is requesting gender affirming hormone therapy has a 99% success rate. The, the, the rate of regret from starting hormones is 1% or less, which is unbelievable in the healthcare field. Like, like having a child, like biologically giving birth has a 7% regret rate. Like it, the idea of any therapy having that high of a rate of preventing death, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, bullying, like all of the different effects being that successful should be like a miracle. It should be looked at as the thing we in healthcare are like should do absolutely ethically. Uh, and it, it is it is so much more complicated than that. So like hormones from the results 
obviously makes sense. It aligns your body's shape and like fat, fat deposits and the way that you feel, the way that you relate to your emotions. It all goes back to the way that hormones work on your body. And it, 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 there's, there's like the old saying that like a cis person would never want to try gender affirming hormone therapy. So like, if you have the, in, like, if you want to try it, you should be allowed to try it. I mean, like you're, you're kind of a good example, right? Care? Like, yeah. Uh, I yeah, bet I mean, if you I were don't... sitting, yeah. If you were sitting around a bar with a bunch of like cis guys and you were like, Hey, who wants some estrogen? They would all like shrink away from it. Like, <laughs> no, absolutely. Cause yeah, it's definitely a thing. Like I'm not the most dysphoric person, but I'm like, sure. I'll take estrogen. That sounds fun. That's like it's like that that sounds like a thing that I could enjoy watching my body change and I'm you know it's it's I'm happy that we're moving more towards that and not having to deal with the oh I'm so dysphoric I want to die which is mm -hmm. obviously very a big thing for a lot of people I'm not I'm not minimizing that right um but also a lot of trans people who've had more kind of complicated feelings on gender whether they're like gender queer non-binary have in the past had made it more difficult to get gender affirming care because they don't fit into those specific like male female uh, boxes as easily. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, and and what you're talking about is really something that's relatively recent. The idea of gender euphoria, like the idea that people want to take yeah. hormones because it gives them joy to like dress or act or feel a certain way, and that I mean, healthcare is all about at least up until well. Whew, <laughs> the reality of healthcare is that it is all about finding problems to solve and not really looking at like Making your life just better in general. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, I know plenty of people who started hormones of any type just because they felt it would make them happier and they were correct. And that gender euphoria is just as good of a reason to take it as the dysphoria. The problem ends up in how the medical industry treats it because dysphoria quote unquote is something as a long oh my gosh i could go into the whole history of that if you wanted but i'm sure we could talk about the dsm4 and dsm5 for a long time oh it's so frustrating i spend i spend a two-hour session in my queer healthcare class specifically just dunking on the dsm5 definition of gender dysphoria um but the, the 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 real problem is like this focus on this negative quality and how that actually damages a lot of the conversations around uh, gender affirming hormone therapy and trans people in general. Uh, like instead of seeing it as like this manifestation of people like truly taking control of their lives to become authentic in like the truest way. Like you have never met a more truly well a uh, uh, self made man than a trans man who gets hormones. Like it, it's. I mean, it's and it's still something we're even we're 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 not quite at the at the gender utopia. I mean, obviously, because of all of the anti-trans stuff. But even obviously. like even on like just purely purely the medical side, like I even for for informed consent, um, I still needed to get diagnosed with gender dysphoria at the informed consent clinic in order in order to get hormones, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. which is in part like an insurance thing, and you know it, it has has all of these all of these bullshit reasons. Um, but that is that is something we're still we're still definitely dealing with. Oh my goodness, yeah. And, and the the better informed care clinics are the ones that they realize it's just like an effort in box ticking. So they're just yeah. like, "Yep, sounds good. You came here to this clinic and you asked about hormones. Sounds like gender dysphoria to me. Like yes, we'll tell yes. your insurance whatever we gotta say." <laughs> yes. Eventually, we'll go into like hormone blockers as well. Um, but yes. I want to talk about there's a lot of this this there's a lot of rhetoric that's been we're growing for a long long time about the the extremely damaging irreversible effects of 
of hormone replacement therapy oh um, and how they're going to permanently alter your biology if you give these to children. And there's five-year-olds taking testosterone and it's going to like, you're like, you're like, oh, really? That sounds very scary. Um, so that's something I would like to discuss. It's like, because a lot of people, when we, when we, we, we talk, talk about hormones, they think of this as this like big, extremely life-altering thing. Um, that has like these, you know, irreversible effects on your, you know, your, your bones are going to get weak and shriveled and never, and never get big again. And all of, <laughs> all of this very scary stuff. Um, what's up with that? <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of it goes back to that biological essentialism because hormones, even for the people who give them are considered partially like reversible because yes. the majority of the things that happen one take a long ass time like you will know whether or not this is a good idea for the majority of people well before the physical manifestations occur uh and and considering like one of the biggest problems we have with certain formulations like in uh, the once a week or once every other week injectable version of estrogen by the time you get to right before your next dose your estrogen is so low you're feeling it and it's starting to like reverse some of those so like yeah. if you're feeling it after two weeks how irreversible could it be yeah. uh, and, <laughs> and some of it depends on like Eight, uh, timing, because if we're talking about a person who has, say, already gone through a testosterone-mediated puberty, then some of the things are just not going to be affected. You can't change like bone size, height, or anything like that. There, there's some interesting things about like hip, uh, like flexation and and and, and pivoting. I and, have seen um, more of that recently. Yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, and, and and even like shoe size can can change because of the way the ligaments work uh, on hormones. But like the bones aren't going to change once they're done growing. But that's sort of where the puberty blockers come in that we can we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, but for the for the majority of people, if you are going through if, if you have gone through a puberty that you did not want, you can take hormones to go through a puberty you do want and get the effects that you do want. And some of the elements, sure, like you know, growing breasts, uh, or gynecomastia, as we would call it in the cis man, which is another whole nonsense, um, is, is not irreversible like you can have them removed if you decided that you needed to like detransition which is a whole nother story but even then it takes like five years to see their final breast size like yeah if you if you're on hormones for five years and I, you're I worried think, about the irreversible quote-unquote effects like what are we doing here i mean and even i've heard from a lot of my elder trans friends that whenever they go off hormones sometimes their breasts just kind of go away because they're not massive to begin with <laughs> like mm -hmm. if it's gener generally generally you, you don't get uh the massive massive honkers uh immediately <laughs> um so we're working for, on it i know I, I know we're trying um but a lot of a lot a lot of even the you know that was one of the big things that informed consent thing was like the you know a lot of these changes are reversible except for breasts the, the, these are these are these are these are a permanent change be careful and all my and all my trans friends are like eh, 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 a, a little bit but i mean like your nipples won't shrink like your nipples will definitely be bigger and that that won't change but a lot of like the size actually does fluctuate and um, I, I I can even tell that on like depending on if I like miss a dose or something being like oh yeah like there is a lot of a lot of fluctuation even like on like you know like temperature and stuff how cold oh it is gosh. will determine yeah. how 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 my chest looks it is it it is uh it's pretty fun I mean I am <laughs> I I I just like the biohacking thing in general it is like the cyberpunk in me 
Um, but yeah, I guess I, I guess we could talk about um, ho- hormone, blo- hormone blockers as well, because this is the other kind of thing you hear a lot about when conservatives are very scared about trans people. <sighs> the idea of hormone blockers like making people infertile or making permanent changes to children's health or something, blah, 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 oh, blah, blah. Oh my blah. gosh. That's the thing that is like really, really frustrating for me specifically because puberty blockers, the gonadotropin, the GnRH antagonist and agonist, which have been around for like- Long time. For like ever, for, for I, I, I want to say it was like a hundred years, but I, I, I might be misquoting something that I'm half remembering, but they've been around for like a really long time to the point where we have generics. And in the, in the pharmaceutical industry, that means that it's been like decades at the very least. Something that had rigorous testing that has an indication with the FDA for precocious puberty, which just means a person who is usually cis, who for whatever reason has puberty at a very young age. With some of the some of the specific cases that I've seen that, that, I've, that I've looked into um, involve giving puberty blockers to like a three or four year old because their body is trying to undergo puberty. So even the idea of like, oh, well, I don't know, this 12 year old being on a puberty blocker for three years, that sounds very dangerous when we have a person over here who is on it for 15 years with no ill effects, like like no long lasting ill effects. Um, the the yeah. idea of anybody describing it as like experimental is absolutely ahistoric outside of the realm of reality. Yeah, they're just it's it's basic anti anti intellectualism because yeah, we've been giving cis children hormone blockers for a long time for early onset puberty, and turns out they they work and they're pretty safe. So. Yeah, maybe we should give those to trans kids too if they want them. Uh, seems like something we could at least try and see if it improves m- mental health. And then it's it's not even a matter that we have to try. It. We've been doing it for like almost ten years. Like the the it was first. I think it was like. 2013 there's a there's a TED talk I use in my class of a of a physician who like pioneered the use of puberty blockers in trans kids and showed that any trans kid who got puberty blockers and then was allowed to undergo the puberty that they desired at an appropriate age which is actually like 14 15 at the same time as their peers um but even if they had to wait till 18 the psychological effects of having an in appropriate puberty are essentially nullified. They are otherwise psychologically and physically like identical to their their cisgender peers. So it, it's like we have actual evidence that it is extremely beneficial and extremely worthwhile. And like the one kind of long-term side effect is you might be up to an inch shorter than you otherwise be, which is a wildly like problematic like study that was done because like we don't have time machines to know whether or not that worked. Like what would your control group be? Um, And it's just wild. (laughs) It's very bothersome to me because a lot of the gender affirming hormone therapy, the evidence is all over the place for a variety of political reasons and and historical reasons, but for hormone blockers or for puberty blockers specifically, the evidence is like really solid, really strong. And it's it's so frustrating. This is a question I actually have because I'm actually unfamiliar with this specific thing. But yeah, if if you give like um, hormone blockers to like a kid who's 10, they, they still kind of like, grow at mm-hmm. the same rate as a lot of as a lot of their uh peers yep and that is a it, it just it's it's the specifically like the secondary sex characteristic changes that yeah. get put on pause um 
but there's just so much yeah there's just so much fear around the ho- even even just the hormone blocker thing right when we're getting you know just like pre- prescribing hormone blockers being like a felony offense in multiple states now you're like that's like it's it is just an, an extreme degree of anti anti intellectualism just like just like purposeful like ignorance um and just extreme hatred and uh bigotry and it's it is uh i mean yeah it's a <laughs> i'm kind of speaking to the choir here but <laughs> well yeah of course <laughs> but 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 that's the trick and and even like the puberty blocker thing like you were saying your body will still make human growth hormone. You will still grow. It's just that the modulation of that with, say, testosterone, which would increase the overall growth, uh, like just doesn't there. And people say make a lot of, um, you know, talk a lot about the idea of um, bone mineral density because you don't have testosterone or estrogen, which are both necessary, one or the other, necessary for your like bone mineral density to not like have like. easily fractured bones but like you don't even have that until you go through puberty if you're just like preventing one puberty the endogenous puberty and then providing the hormones for an exogenous puberty they're fine like they they have the hormones they need their bones are happy uh so yeah (laughs) i'd like to talk about i guess kind of access to hormones and in like the like the different models of of i mean obviously we're not giving up medical advice uh, but like yes. access to hormones and the different ways that people can go about that now through doctors, through informed consent, um, and all of all and all of that jazz. Yeah. So the informed consent model is a much more recent uh, option, and it's not available everywhere. I have a friend in Texas. We had to find a clinic that was like two hours away to get her hormones. But here, where I live, we actually have two informed consent clinics, so it's pretty convenient. But it varies wildly by by region. Uh, and the informed care clinics are great. It means you come in, they say this is what's going to happen. Do you still want to do it? You say yes. They take some blood, they run some tests. You come back in two weeks, and they go here. You go. Like that, that's. They work really well, depending on the clinic, I guess. And uh, but the more traditional, quote unquote, standard model would be going to your PCP or or whoever and saying that you want to do this, which makes most of them very concerned because most physicians, pharmacists, nurses, they don't get taught anything about trans people or caring for trans people or gender affirming hormone therapy in their school. Like so, they have nothing to fall back on. so that makes them very nervous to do it. And then uh, if you if you look at, wow, gosh, I, I really want to tell you about the, the guideline stuff at some point here because it is buck sure, wild sure. Um, as to why that would be a concern. But another part of it is, is also the insurance, you know, America's original sin in, in our healthcare dystopia, if you will. Uh, the insurances historically have required, and, and part of this is also from antiquated guidelines that has been somewhat like just grandfathered in to excuse the term uh this idea of like well you have to go to a therapist you have to go to a psychologist and they have to say that you have gender dysphoria that's why it's in the dsm and then after you do that some places require you to socially transition before getting hormones or anything which can be extremely problematic for some individuals that just increases like visibility and bullying and and such in a way that it may drive people it's it sort of was intentionally it required back in the day 
to drive people to not want hormones anymore. And it's all of these gatekeeping steps. And it's even worse if you wanted to get a surgery later on uh, where you have to have been on hormones for a certain length of time. You have to have two different generally like cisgender, right? Uh, healthcare practitioners who don't necessarily understand like the full, like everything that's going on, write you letters before the, and most insurances up until recently wouldn't even cover it. So it, it's just gatekeeping step after gatekeeping step. Cause even the big guidelines, which is WPATH, which is about to put out their SOGATE guidelines. Um, there's a guidelines out of San Francisco and the endocrine society has guidelines from 2017 that are, but all of those, are made by cisgender people, usually with the intent to gatekeep this care because it either they're uncomfortable with it because they're unfamiliar with it, they have some kind of ideological reason to be against it, uh, or whatever, uh, whatever else. There's a survey that I often quote to my students in class that um, they surveyed a whole bunch of, of trans individuals trying to get care from their physicians, and it was nearly a quarter of them said that they avoided healthcare because of discrimination and half of them reported having to teach their healthcare practitioner how to care for them which is wild like imagine going to the hospital with like heart failure and having to like talk your physician through how to care for you can you can you live for 2 years with heart failure first before we give oh, you treatment yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, could you imagine if we treated other things this way? I'd be like, well, are you sure that you have diabetes? Are you sure that you're like, well, we can't treat your diabetes. You're too fat. Well, your BMI is too high, so we can't give you the insulin. Like, give me a break. Like, what is happening? Uh, seems like a, it's basically what, what you're saying is that we got a good system. We got it. Oh, we got it figured no, out. Absolutely. No notes. hundred uh, percent. Perfect in every All right, way. Well, that does it for us today. I'll just have it here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, specifically, if I could, um, it's really interesting from like the healthcare perspective because, or from you know the practitioner perspective, because there's essentially two kinds of like treatment. There's guideline-based medicine and evidence-based medicine, and a lot of schools, like my school, teaches a lot of guideline-based medicine, which is for something like hypertension or diabetes, is put out by like large organizations with a ton of evidence. It is actually like pretty reasonable. But that means that if you're going along with what they say, that means that you believe that they read those studies correctly and that their interpretation is in no way compromised by like sources of their income, say, and that those guidelines actually match your patient. So it's a lot of assumptions that you're making, which can be extremely problematic. And evidence-based is where you dive into the literature and you figure it out yourself, which is very time-consuming and, and requires an awful lot of like professional, uh, like, you know, criticism in a way. Uh, but when you look at it for, for trans care, for, for gender-affirming hormone therapy, those guidelines are unbelievably compromised. To give you an example, uh, a hotly contested issue in uh, feminizing therapy is the use of micronized progesterone in feminizing care. Uh, it's kind of like all over the place. There's a long history of it, uh, of, of this controversy. In the upcoming WPATH SOCATE guidelines that I uh, had like a preliminary copy to, to provide notes on, there, the, there's a single statement that just says, that the, this, there's a controversy that exists and you should not use micronized progesterone in trans feminine care. And they list a study, okay? If you pull up that study, the title of it is 
progesterone is important for transgender women's therapy, applying evidence for the benefits of progesterone in cis women. And it is like a pretty long document that concludes that it is like an ethical imperative to offer it. So the idea that the people who are writing the WPATH guidelines read this article, read this, this like meta-analysis and went, yeah, I don't really agree with any of that. I'm just going to say no is just so infuriating. Again, that seems like we got a good system going here. Yeah, 100%. No notes. I guess on that note, let's. I, I, I want to discuss some of, the, some of the things that aren't talked about as much as like um, antiandrogens, uh, progesterone, spiro, and mm-hmm. what all kind of those do and how they can kind of supplement a regular estradiol prescription Thera- i guess re- regimen yeah regimen re- regimen yes ah. that, that, that sounds that sounds fancy <laughs> sure sure so uh generally speaking if you're I, I maybe give a baseline for for folks who are unaware the the way that we do feminizing therapy is we offer estradiol which is a bioequivalent version of e2 because there's like three different versions of estradiol of estrogen um and an anti-androgen because testosterone tends to be somewhat of an overriding hormone the presence of testosterone will override the effects of estrogen to a certain extent depending on doses and stuff like that which is for the transmasculine individuals why we just give testosterone it just yeah. does the job you don't need to block the estrogen uh so huh, there's a you know there's a lot of history in just those hormones as well that we could talk about like conjugated estrogens versus estradiol and and all the different other stuff but for the anti-androgens that we give historically in this country we give spironolactone which is a mineral corticoid it's a potassium sparing diuretic and it's just really good at higher levels we usually use it in like cardio issues like it it can be used for like hypertension and some other things um but we use I believe it makes you pee a lot. That yes. Is, that is, that so is what I've heard. <laughs> so it's a diuretic, meaning that it makes you urinate an awful lot. And it's a potassium sparing because it prevents your body from eliminating potassium. So uh, no more it, eating bananas. Well, so that is that's <laughs> the thing that I think is really, really wild because you're using these high levels of it. It is preventing your uh, production, your endogenous production of testosterone and making you pee all of the time, which spoilers estradiol also makes you pee more often so like that's a real fun combination but then uh physicians if they don't know what the heck they're doing they might say something like well you can't eat any bananas and like historically the people who are on feminizing therapy are healthy enough that their body just accommodates for it and if you have hyperkalemia which is like too much potassium you're gonna know like your muscles are gonna ache and there's gonna be a lot of like telltale side effects usually it's only a problem if you are like only consuming a like salt alternative that has potassium instead of sodium, which is okay, like, okay. A, like not, uh, not super common, not super common. Uh, or if you have some other reason why your body is like holding on to potassium. Um, so it's not usually an issue. Uh, it doesn't, and spironolactone isn't sufficient for everyone. There's plenty of people who have like refractory testosterone after some time, and there are some other options. Uh, there's kind of a weird controversy about it uh, that is sort of heralded by the San Francisco guidelines I mentioned earlier that spironolactone uh, leads to, okay, wait, I want to make sure I get the wording right. It's leads to premature fusing of the breast bud uh, and overall smaller breast size, which the document that they cite for that is a real weird retrospective study from like a bunch of years ago on the rate of trans women getting breast augmentation. And it found that the vast majority of trans women who were on spironolactone 
got breast augmentation. Also get breast augmentation. Okay. But the problem is, like, of their sample group of like two, three hundred people, almost all of them were on spironolactone. Like, th- there's like a sampling error. Huh. Like, it, it's nonsense. It's very silly. Um, and also, even like that premature fusing of the breast bud, I have never been able to find anything that suggests that that's a thing or even like a way to explain what that statement even means but the san francisco guidelines to go back to the my guideline thing actually says has some like maybe don't use spironolactone even though it's something we've been using since literally like the 50s or 60s for this purpose in other countries you'll use what's called cyproterone which is a synthetic progesterone but it's not actually approved in the states because it has a like there is actually some evidence that it causes increase in certain specific cancers but it's like a pretty limited overall risk like it's not like something like you know going outside increases your risk of cancer it's it's not like a huge deal but it was enough that they they don't it's not approved in the states but in a lot of other countries you'll you might get ciproterone which there's a lot of you know controversy around that too for those reasons um here the other option that we usually see is uh finasteride which is a 5-alpha reductase inhibitor that essentially is preventing testosterone from being turned into dihydrotestosterone uh which we use normally for um to prevent quote unquote male pattern baldness and in higher doses for prostate cancer because it's real good at because it like reverses some of the feedback loops just reducing produ- testosterone production yeah 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 um, so it, it it's just fine like it that one has like very limited side effects but it might not have as substantial of a um reduction of testosterone that spironolactone does uh, and then the the kind of third one that we really we don't see very often, but there's a lot of interesting evidence about is called bicalutamide. It's also a uh, prostate cancer medication. It actually blocks all of the receptors of testosterone in your body while not reducing the production of it. So you'll see a person who has like, you know, they, they have like 700, their, their, their testosterone comes back as like 700, 600, whatever. Yeah. But they're entirely feminized because none of it has anywhere to work. Um, but the problem with that is bicalutamide being an anti-cancer med uh, primarily is ridiculously expensive. I think it's like 50 bucks a dose or something like what that. What a good or, system we have here. It's so great. Uh- <laughs> I will say, and, and for my gender queers out there or any, anyone else, you can also just take estrogen without any without any yeah. blockers, um, and you still get results, as yep. I can uh, as I can confirm. Yeah. Um, and for a subset of the population, just taking estrogen at sufficient dosages will also reduce your yeah. levels of progest- or of, of testosterone. Like yep. it's it, your body knows what it's doing. <laughs> yep, it is. It is. It is. It it is pretty cool how much you can just change things up when your body's like, oh, we're doing this now. Okay, got it. Great. I have all these mechanisms. It's wonderful. And with that, that wraps up part one of our little two-part series of episodes talking about hormone replacement therapy. Tomorrow, I'll talk more about access to gender-affirming treatment and touch on DIY HRT. Uh, Special thanks to Dr. Victoria, Luna, Brennan Grieve for chatting with me about gender-affirming hormonal treatment. You'll get to hear more of my discussion with her tomorrow as well, including a brief tangent about the Scythian priestesses, which I was, I was very, very, very excited to talk about. But that does it for us today. You can follow this show at Happen to Hear Pod and Cool Zone Media on Twitter and Instagram. And you can look at my late night gender tweets at HungryBowtie on Twitter.com. 
So, see you all on the other side. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo play welcome back to it could happen here the podcast about things falling apart and sometimes how we can put things back together i'm garrison davis uh, aspiring rebus and this is part two of my little two-part series talking about trans hormone replacement therapy last episode we discussed what hrt is its various benefits as gender-affirming treatment, and the informed consent model of receiving hormones. Uh, before we continue on with my discussion with Dr. Grieve, I would like to talk a bit more about informed consent. So the informed consent option can be great for many, many people, uh, as it attempts to bypass some of the red tape around 
receiving gender-affirming health care. For informed consent, all you got to do is set up an appointment, uh, sign the forms, maybe get some blood work done, and then pick up your hormones, right? You, you don't need to live as trans for like two years or have letters from therapists. It, 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 is, it is just up to you. Uh, so it is, it is really convenient if you can get that option. Some places even let you do it via telemedicine appointments. So you can just sit at home holding your little Ikea shark and then get your hormones, which does sound very, very nice. Planned Parenthood offers informed consent trans health care in many states. And in the show notes, I will link a Google map of the informed consent clinics from across the country. Depending on your insurance, you can get hormones for little to no extra cost this way. It can be really convenient. The biggest asterisk for informed consent is that since it's based on, you know, informed consent, it often is just for humans uh, age 18 and older, or sometimes teens a few years younger, but only if their parents or guardians sign the forms. Obviously, this is not ideal for a 16-year-old with transphobic parents who would really be helped by receiving, like, hormone blockers or something, right? Another potential drawback is that the clinics can sometimes have quite the wait list. I started off with the informed consent model because it was the easiest. But by the time I needed more blood work done and my prescription refilled, setting up more appointments at Planned Parenthood became kind of a nightmare. Uh, I was continuously having appointments being canceled on me last minute and just getting pushed back months and months into the future. Eventually, I just resorted to getting hormones through my regular doctor instead of just continuing on with informed consent. Now, this is obviously a regional issue, right? I, I don't know what it's like in Florida, for example, but the COVID-19 pandemic has stressed a lot of the medical infrastructure here in the States, and scheduling some appointments in these clinics can be still quite challenging. And as you know, a, a big theme of this show is that maybe we shouldn't assume the structures that hold up our society are concrete permanent fixtures. The term the crumbles that we use to describe the slow deterioration of the systems that we rely on was initially coined in reference to our medical system by a friend of the show who works in the medical field. Listen to the first five episodes of The Daily Show talking about climate change for more on that. But a part of the crumbles idea is trying to learn how to become less reliant on the systems that we take for granted, right? Trying to solve for the fallacy of misplaced concreteness before it's too late. On that note, uh, back to my discussion with Dr. Victoria Luna Brennan-Grieve, assistant professor at the University of Pittsburgh School of Pharmacy. For places that are getting, uh, you know, all of these anti-trans bills, criminalizing all of this stuff for minors, and then, you know, Eventually, maybe even, you know, my, my, my big fear is that, you know, first off, they're going to criminalize it for minors, then they're going to say, the brain's not fully developed until you're 25, and they're going to criminalize it until you're 25, and then they're just going to criminalize it for everyone after that. Mm -hmm. um, so for all of these places that are making access to healthcare so much harder, what what is what is one to do? Like, if, these, if, the, if there's these kids, and then even adults who are like, just find it so much harder to get stuff, like... I, I know there's the informed consent clinics, but and I, there's there's like there's like a few in Texas, but I don't even know what they can even offer anymore, right? Like it's really unclear. Yeah. Well, I I tell you, some of that fear is already becoming reality here in Pennsylvania. Just two days ago, uh, HB I think it was HB nine seven two passed by the the House in in down in Harrisburg that prevents it, it's a ban on trans people playing sports up through the college level. 
not just yeah. high school and grade school. It's all the way up through, you know, secondary education. Yeah. Uh, and even though our governor like has vowed to veto it, like who even knows what's going to happen? But they're already taking taking aim at, at this higher level kind of thing, and there's a lot of precedent for that. But my goodness, if th- there's a long and and storied history of DIY hormone therapy. And it's easier for the trans feminine individuals because testosterone is actually a, a schedule two controlled schedule, substance. I think it's schedule two or schedule, schedule three. It, it might be a three. I think it's it, a schedule three steroid. I'll yeah. I'll I'll write a little thing about it and I'll say yeah. it in the episode. And it's such a funny reason too, because it's just you can use it to dope for endurance-based like like cycling and running because it will increase your red blood cell count. That's it. Like, and so it's a controlled substance because people can use it to dope for for ex- for for sports. So it, it that's a little bit harder to get a hold of in, in like a, a meaningful way. But there are a lot of different, a- allegedly there are a lot of different places online that you can acquire estrogen or estradiol relatively easily. Now I'm going to actually pause the uh, discussion with me and Dr. Grieve to talk a little bit about DIY HRT or for those anti-acronym people out there, uh, do-it-yourself hormone replacement therapy. Now, again, I'm not a medical doctor. Um, Unless you have a problem regarding parapsychology, I cannot offer you any expertise. But I can talk about DIY HRT as it's existed for trans people for the past two decades. Because an unfortunate truth is, although it's gotten much easier to get gender-affirming care and hormones the past few years, even in states that aren't facing this wave of anti-trans healthcare bills, the medical establishment hasn't been the most trans-friendly place in general. A recent Center for American Progress report found that nearly half of transgender people and 68% of transgender people of color reported having experienced mistreatment at the hands of a medical provider, uh, including refusal of care and verbal or physical abuse, just in the year before the survey, which took place in June of 2020. So this is, this is still very much an ongoing issue. One in two trans people reported that their access to gender-affirming healthcare was curtailed significantly during the pandemic, and nearly one in two transgender adults have had insurance providers deny them coverage for gender-affirming care. And very often, doctors don't even know how to properly treat transgender patients, and often it's up to the patients to educate the doctors on trans healthcare issues. The Center for American Progress survey from last year, found that one in three trans people report having to teach their doctors about trans people to get them appropriate care, and 15% reported having been asked invasive or unnecessary questions about being trans, which were not related to the reasons for them visiting the doctor. The report cited a 2018 brief from the Kaiser Family Foundation that found that more than half of medical school curriculums lack information about unique health issues the LGBTQ community faces and doesn't cover treatment beyond HIV prevention and care. So obviously that leaves a lot to be desired for people wanting to receive transgender health care. Between medical mistreatment, insurance complications, and doctor ignorance, many trans folks have taken it upon themselves to get the drugs necessary for hormone replacement therapy. Because the alternative is often just having to face not being able to receive the healthcare that, in many cases, makes it possible to live. The Center for American Progress survey found that 28% of trans folks report having postponed or not gotten necessary medical care for fear of discrimination. 
taking your endocrinology and hormone treatment into your own hands has a lengthy history and used to be much more common in the days before informed consent. In a survey of trans people in Washington, D.C., circa 2000, over half of the respondents said that they had used non-prescribed hormones, also known as DIY HRT. So information on how to go about DIYing your HRT spread via online forums and websites in the early 2000s. And after some trial and error, uh, the information is kind of consolidated into a few main information hubs, uh, that being the DIY HRT wiki, hrt.cafe, and diyhrt.github.io. Now, obviously, when you're getting into taking drugs from online sources, you need to be extremely careful and cautious about what foreign chemicals you're putting into your body, uh, including in trying to only acquire drugs from trustworthy sources, doing drug testing if you can, and doing your own blood testing before and after to keep an eye on your testosterone and estrogen levels. It, it is possible to order blood tests uh, via online and send it through a lab that you have to ship your blood to, but often it's just easier to do it by going through the medical system. Now, one massive caveat with DIY HRT is although it's more straightforward to acquire estradiol and antiandrogens like Spiro from online sources, getting testosterone for masculinization therapy is much more tricky because in most places it's a restricted drug. Here in the States, it is a Schedule Three substance. So technically, buying it without a prescription would be a felony. Um, so for this reason, most DIY HRT stuff focuses on feminizing hormones since that is less legally complicated. Now, obviously, you know, steroids exist, so it is possible to get them, uh, but I will not be giving out uh, guides on how to do that here on the pod, but, you know, you can, you can look into it if you so desire. For feminizing hormones, the main way of going about it requires obtaining bioidentical estradiol. It can come in a few forms. Uh, pills, which are not difficult to acquire, and assuming you get the dose right, it's pretty easy because it's just a process of dissolving the little pill tablets under your tongue, and that's kind of it. Right? Dosage is its own thing, which you can figure out if you do reading, but the actual taking of it is pretty straightforward. Uh, transdermal estrogen, or transdermal estradiol, is kind of the new hot thing. Uh, usually this has you taking weekly estradiol patches, which you just switch out every week. Um, or you can also do daily gels that you just rub on your body. Although unfortunately for dosing gels, it can be more tricky if you go DIY because it's hard to know what concentration just the gel is if you're just rubbing a salve on yourself if it's not already prepackaged. Uh, but the patches are pretty good. And lastly, the classic method is injectable estradiol at various concentrations in the form of some oil solution. This can usually be the cheapest option if you can figure out how to buy estradiol. Uh, and needles and syringes can be bought at any pharmacy just over the counter in most countries without a prescription. For feminizing hormones, some people also take antiandrogens, aka testosterone blockers like spirolactone, uh, which can be acquired online and are almost always taken orally in the form of a pill. Now, when getting these drugs online, there are two main categories of purchase. There's pharmaceutical grade and home brewed. Pharmaceutical grade refers to HRT produced by legitimate pharmaceutical companies that are licensed and subject to regulation. They should be of the same quality as those found in your local pharmacy, and they can be ordered without a prescription from websites based in countries that allow for the legal exportation of certain medications. These will almost always carry less inherent risk versus 
receiving and taking home-brewed hormones, which leads us to the second version that you can buy, which is home-brewed. Uh, this refers to HRT produced by individuals by sourcing raw estradiol or whatever other chemical you're taking in the form of a powder and then compounding the medication themselves. They do not synthesize or create from scratch these hormones, but they do use the powdered versions of them, and they get them from sources from drug manufacturing companies to synthesize it into their own estradiol or whatever other drug you're taking. But, you know, in the anti-androgen list, there's there's too many too many to name. Now, while this this concept does sound scary, and it can obviously go wrong if someone's not synthesizing it correctly, uh, there are a couple well-respected members of the community that have been known to produce high-quality and safe HRT medications. But before anyone decides to take drugs that you get on the internet, please, 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 please do lots of reading beforehand on, on dosage, uh, effects, side effects, and be very cautious with your drug sourcing, right? You should know who you're buying it from. You don't want to just buy from whatever sketchy website. You should make sure that what you're doing is other people are backing up on this decision. Make sure that it's there's you you, you can cross-reference information here. Because there's a lot of information out there online, and not all of it is good information, obviously. But really try to cross-reference information on any drug sources, on hormone dosage, on and any possible drug interactions if you're taking multiple drugs or you already have prescriptions. Now, I should, I should note that supply chain issues that affect the medical system can even extend out to DIY HRT. There's no true escape. There's no true other. One of the main pharmaceutical-grade online sites to source HRT from is currently out of estradiol pills. So there, there, is, there is no true escape sometimes. But to learn more about DIY HRT, you should check out diyhrt.github.io or hrt.cafe and the diytrans.wiki. And keep in mind, not everything you read on those sources is necessarily good advice or up-to-date with the current information on how these drugs work. Recently, I was reading a guide I found via one of those sites on how to homebrew my own estrogen uh, by uh, buying the powdered version of it and then synthesizing it myself to level up my alchemy stat. Um, and I found the guide I was reading contained quite a bit of outdated misinformation about progesterone. So don't take everything you read as gospel, but those resources are at least a good place to start. Anyway, now back to the interview. The problem that you might run into with DIYing it is you might not be able to get the bioequivalent estradiol in some form, you might have to settle for conjugated estrogens or even uh, something like an ethanol estradiol, which is like hormonal birth control, which yeah. uh, because they are synthetics, they actually have a much rougher uh, time on your body. And that's where a lot of the side effects, quote unquote, like come from, like all of the, the worry about like blood clots and things from taking estrogens comes from conjugated estrogens, ethanol estradiol. I didn't know that. Yeah, the actual study uh, that a lot of that is citing goes all the way back, and it was studying the rate of clotting in cisgender women taking hormonal taking birth control. Birth control, okay. And it's just like, okay, so this is the wrong population with the wrong medication. Yeah, that seems like not a great scientific study. Right. What do we do? I mean, it, it might be great to talk about for, for the rate for, of for clotting that, for yes. si yeah, right. Yes, but which, not which for trans women or people like really, me who want to take estrogen. Right. 
Yeah. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't really help so much. Um, and, and what I think is also pretty wild to, I mentioned the progesterone thing earlier. A lot of that controversy comes from the fact that the original studies on whether or not it could be beneficial were done with medroxy progesterone, a synthetic progesterone that has a really nasty side effect profile in a lot of different ways. And now that we have micronized progesterone where the evidence suggests that not only is it safe, it actually makes estrogen safer. And now they're like, no, we can't give that. That's just that's just crazy talk. <laughs> I, I, I will say I have heard from people with more experience taking hormones than me that progesterone does make you way too horny. Um, so just, <laughs> just, just, just a heads up for for uh, side effects. Hashtag can confirm, but um, well, but but progesterone can have a lot of other really beneficial side effects. It can really increase the fat deposition to various places. It can help with your mood. It can help with your sleep. It actually reduced the period symptoms that I was having because uh, I because uh, there's surprise people on estrogen can also have periods. Yeah. Uh, and because your body again knows what it's doing, it's going to modulate it through the E1, E2, E3 pathway like throughout the month in a cyclical fashion, and you can get bloating and cramping. And I, I had really bad morning sickness, like for, for three days, every 28 days for months until eventually I started micronized progesterone and those symptoms alleviated, which makes a kind of sense if you know that progesterone only birth control reduces periods. So like it, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of precedent. A lot, it makes a lot of like sense that it would work. God, I, mm, it's, I need to tell you, have, mm, have you ever heard of the Powers Method of of No? Oh, Garrison, I am so excited to introduce you to this person. Like, Doctor Powers is a fascinating grifter in the trans healthcare space because he is a he's a physician who like has has made it his duty to 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 make sure that trans people especially trans women he actually doesn't like really have anything to say about trans men because the the therapy is so like easy to 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 do yeah. that he has a wild postulation uh, as to like better ways to give hormones and he, he has things where it's like we well, don't need anti-androgens you just give really high levels of injectable estrogen which like i mean that'll probably work it because it turns work out for some people but yeah yeah but but also estrogen's like really safe and so like you can give it to an unbelievably high level it's not really going to speed things up exactly like it will maybe a little bit but not that much and any of the side effects you might experience which could also come from the the excipients the the non-active elements of it like you can be allergic to those if you have a really high dose it could be a real problem um but the big thing for him is he pushes that micronized progesterone is not only necessary and good especially for breast size you should also stick the oral capsules in your butt uh, oh, I we're we are we are officially boofing estrogen now. Yes, this, yes. I, okay, well, I'm I'm switching back to pills. This sounds very exciting. <laughs> well, so well, oh my gosh. So the 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 idea is his line is um that the, you know that the oral capsules you only get a tiny fraction of the total progesterone and you get a lot more if you stick it up you get the whole dose if you stick it up your butt uh -huh. which like if you know literally anything about pharmacology is both right and entirely insane because uh anything that you take orally it there's a bioavailable like level of it like so 
oral uh, micronized progesterone has a bioequivalence of I think like two or 3%, which is why when you take like a hundred milligram capsule, you get like a certain blood level. If you take it rectally, it's like a 12%. It's still not the whole thing, which is why the, the um, micronized progesterone rectal suppositories are 25 milligrams to give you the same exposure. So it's four times the, the systemic absorption, yeah. which means that if you are boofing a micronized progesterone capsule, you are getting three to four times the dose that you should be yes. getting. <laughs> And uh, the I pulled, because I, I get into fights with people all the time about this, I pulled the original FDA filing uh, for micronized progesterone, and they suggested that 300 milligrams is basically getting to what like a cisgender person's maximum progesterone levels would be, meaning that if you're boofing one or two, as some of his regimen suggests... <laughs> Like you might be essentially overdosing, overdosing on progesterone for no reason. Like there's no real reason to do that. And well, it is just crazy. When when I started this call today, I did I did not think we would get to boofing progesterone. <laughs> it is a weird, like a, a a weirdly large part of my Twitter interactions have been fighting people to stop boofing progesterone. Um, well, so I, I needed to say it. Unfortunately, you just exposed this idea to millions of more people. No! Well, no, I'm saying don't do it. Well, and so, oh, it, but you know, you know, you know, that's not how that works. I do you know do. that's not how that works. But I mean, I, I tell you, if if, uh, if if your your friend uh, Robert Evans were here, I could pitch a hole behind the bastards on this Dr. Powers guy. Um, he sounds he sounds fascinating. He has a subreddit, like all good physicians do. I love when um, my doctor has a subreddit. And my my favorite post, other than recently, he's been pushing this like miracle hair tonic that he made which is oh, like come oh, on buddy like yeah, really? like now it's just it, obvious he, he calls it tonic uh, yep yep uh, the the verb he uh -huh. might call it he might even call it an elixir which is very oh, funny boy. but come on come on for come my on, magical hair tonic exactly and, and it's wow. so funny because one of the components of it i think is finasteride like i i looked at the and i'm like yes that is something for bald for male pattern baldness it will probably work congratulations you just remade rogaine uh but the the the, the single post that i feel like perfectly encapsulates this guy's mentality um is <laughs> there's this big post that went around through like cisgender like kind of like centrist spaces that every trans person i saw was just like excuse me what the fuck where this guy was secretly microdosing injectable estrogen that he prescribed himself which sounds kind of illegal not gonna lie uh and messed up the dose by a thousand percent wait. by a thousand by a times <laughs> wait. thousand wait yeah yeah wait. yeah and um, like I, I can give you the link. I, I can I, I know exactly where it is. I can give you the link if you wanted to read this. It is buck wild. But the, the thing is, he goes on to describe this like acute dysphoric episode that he had from one high dose of subcutaneous estrogen, a thing that is not physiologically possible and in completely insane that and he, but he was like but i understand the pain that trans women go through because i fucked up a dose where i was secretly taking estrogen to make my face look younger so i understand okay. your pain and have so much empathy for for the trans women's that i am trying to save oh and boy. it is so frustrating to me how many people give him like credence give him credit um because he he has he has claims like 
apply progesterone cream to the, the the smaller breast to even them out. And it's like, okay, my dude, have you ever met like people with breasts? One yeah. is larger than the other. That's how breasts work. And it's like, well, what's your evidence for that? Well, I had two people who did it and they said it worked. Uh, okay, cool. Do you have those those reports? No, no, no. They got burned up in a house fire and it's very sad. And I can't what, give you that data. You actually say that. Yes. So oh, why? this is the, so he worked in a clinic that a friend of mine actually moved to after they got rid of him because he made all these wildly anecdotal claims. And whenever anybody challenged, and then his house burned down, which is actually very sad because his cats died in it. And he oh, didn't no. deserve his cats because cats are perfect creatures. And this man is insane. The cats, and did, a grifter. Nothing the cats the did nothing cat wrong. Cats never do anything wrong. Cats are, are perfect magical beings. Uh, I love yours so much as they keep crossing in front of the screen. As they do. They're perfect. Um, but so whenever anybody challenges him on literally any of his claims, he goes, well, I had all of that data, but it burned up in my house. And then he like makes it a sob story about like how like, like, horrible this was which like I'm sure it was really bad. Like I'm sure it was like really, really bad. But even his um like PowerPoint presentations that he has that he like goes through to like really like talk about the powers method and make it sound like really, really good has a like fire safety section oh. specifically so he can garner this like sympathy so people will not question his claims that have no evidence behind them. And so it's just such a fantastic examination. To me, I, I, it's just so weird seeing like a space that has historically been denigrated in the evidence. You know, you had that whole episode on like the Hirschfeld Institute and, you know, we see all this like anti-trans anti uh, like propaganda and legislation going on right now that there's a lot of like empty space in the medical record and in the evidence record uh, for what to do in these situations. There's a lot of confusion from the guidelines in these other societies, like I was talking about. And in steps this guy who sees an opportunity to be like a, a like popular, like powerful individual in this space to give people hope that he can cash in on. Uh, and since the medications and since the hormone therapy is so safe, he doesn't actually hurt that many people. And it's, it is so wild seeing this juxtaposition of individuals being like, well, this is unsafe experimental nonsense and seeing this guy flagrantly overdosing people on hormones with no ill effects because they're that safe. Uh, that is, that is pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny in that like laughing until you're crying kind of way. Yes. Yes. What is a way that, people can try to combat all the medical disinformation around HRT specifically. Uh, because we do Ooh. this specifically, we see this a lot in the Save the Children rhetoric, we see this a lot for just anti-trans stuff in general. Um, and like, yeah, just in terms of someone who has to deal with this stuff on a professional level, like, <sighs> when, when we're just faced with all of this just blatantly, just like, wrong stuff uh, being treated as absolute fact, in your experience, what's kind of the best ways to go about that in people? Oh my goodness. Um, it kind of depends on the audience. Uh, when I'm talking to other, other healthcare practitioners, I, um, I can, I, I have historically, cause I do a lot of like teaching and advocacy in this area to other healthcare practitioners. And, um, 
holding sessions, like volunteering for to, to hold sessions of like to educate on this and say like, these are the kind of regimens that are commonly used in clinics. This is why these are things to look out for and to stress the importance of believing the, the patient and um, the importance of you don't want to gatekeep because if, if, which they're, they're not that dangerous, but if there is to be a problem, you would rather have that patient want to work with you to solve it is like such a big part of it. Like even just understanding that from that level that you're not like delivering this kind of like life-saving medication to them as this like Lord on high. It's this idea that like, no, you should be working with this person. And yeah. if you're not familiar with it, you need to do your fucking research. Uh, and I, I will give you the resources for that. I will, I will walk you through those resources. And that's, that's awfully convincing for the majority of healthcare individuals at any level. Cause I've done, I've done talks for students in nursing programs and physical therapy programs all the way up to like actively uh, practicing physicians, nurses, and pharmacists. And it's basically the same. You just, you, you make the argument, you show the evidence, you give them the evidence and you walk them through uh, like, kind of, and, and then, and then have a robust question and answer period where they will ask you those questions and you can explain why they are wrong. Having that kind of dedicated space can be really beneficial, but not scalable in a way that's necessarily helpful. Like I've made a positive impact on my city, but that doesn't really necessarily help if you yourself are not a healthcare practitioner and want to like explain this kind of stuff. And I, I mentioned earlier I, that on Twitter, I've spent a lot of time like arguing that people shouldn't be boofing their progesterone, but I've had to stop because it's exhausting. Every single person, like coming back, it's like the same conversations over and over again. And there's no good way to like have a central location that just has all that information that anybody's going to believe because of the way the internet works. Um, so I guess my answer is I'm not sure. Like there, there's so much misinformation out there and so much of it is so wrong and not in alignment with reality that looking at it at all, it falls to pieces. And, and the idea of the majority of people, so I guess I could say, if a person is coming to you and asking legitimate questions and they don't really know, like they're just like parroting stuff that they heard, they, yeah. they're much easier to convince because you can show like, oh, well, like we have a long history of doing this. Like, look at, the, you know, I, I tell my students about how like 1952 was the first like recognized hormonal mediated uh, transition in the United States. Like it, she was like a, a movie star. Um, and, and, you know, I talk about a lot of the history to be like, this isn't new. This is something like we have been here forever. Um, my, my favorite story, do you know about the story about the Scythian priestesses? Yes, I actually do, but I would love for you to explain it. But I, oh I, my god, I, I found out about that a few months ago, and I was like, oh my god, <laughs> makes me so happy. So, so to to explain very briefly, I I think it it's an old um, I think it was like Herodotus. It's like an old like Grecian like author that we have information, oh, author, philosopher, uh, whatever historian. But they talk about in one of the texts the Scythian priestesses who uh, essentially distill the poison of woman, they call it in one of the texts, which I think is just such a great term, from um, uh, 
pregnant mare urine, which interestingly enough, we actually still make today conjugated estrogens. The brand name is Premarin because it comes from pregnant mare urine. Like, are it's you, literally, seri- are you yeah. serious? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's literally a thing that we still do today. That is hilarious. It's beautiful. It's so good. Um, and, and so they they were priestesses. They were like you know, people would come to them to seek out their wisdom and their like this like yeah. spiritual thing. And it was a, it was like a bunch of trans women who like got high, told stories and probably fucked each other. And that sounds like a polycule to me, but um, I mean, like my, the, the silly, the Scythians were like a nomadic uh, group of people who would travel all around kind of what is now the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, I, I do love the idea of trans people having like specific, like, more esoteric insight almost naturally because yes. they've had to deal with ideas of ontology and ideas as so ontology is just like the nature of being um mm-hmm. and so having to deal with that having to deal with like the nature of reality from a much a younger age because their whole perception of reality and self is obviously so different because of their experience of being what is now mm-hmm. called trans um so it makes a lot of sense that a lot of these people would have been like basically different forms of shamans mediums or just have like esoteric insight because they've been thinking about these types of like reality altering topics for so much longer because it's so much per- more personally affecting to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but and yes, the, when I specifically read about the Scythian priestesses, I'm like, oh my, they're just like doing the thing. They're just doing the thing. It turns out we've been doing this forever. My favorite a- account is a uh, one of the reasons they commanded respect of the like masculine leaders that would come to get information was because they were all terrified that they would inflict the poison of women Which onto is, yes, them. It, it does spread, by the way. It is. Yeah, it, oh, it it's, is, it's highly contagious. Actually, it is, conta- it is contagious. But it, it, the idea that like there was like some of the respect was from like this fear of being force femmed is hilarious <laughs> from like this early BC. The primordial fear. Of the primordial fear. I was going to say, Garrison, you mentioning like ontology. My original degree was in psychology and philosophy. So like, let's go, baby. We can go deep on some of this stuff. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I'm, 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 I'm sure. I'm sure we could talk about uh, mysticism and magic and gender for a long, long time. Oh my God. That'd be as, a whole nother podcast. As those, those are big areas of interest. Um, <laughs> but I but I but I super agree with you because I've been thinking about this and I've ended up having conversations with a lot of my peers in pharmacy and in the university because people might not recognize this, but pharmacy is actually one of the more conservative spaces in healthcare. Uh like my my school had a dress code for the students until two years ago when I fought hard enough to get it removed. Like it was wild. Um, like the code of conduct committee tried to get me, tried to prevent me from getting my ears pierced. Like really? it is, yeah, it's a wild space for me to exist in. Um, it's extremely conservative, extremely traditional. Like the some, like yeah, I I got. St- stories uh, that I'd love to tell if you wanted to hear them. But the the thing that I think is really interesting is when you look at me in comparison to my my colleagues who are predominantly like Christian, predominantly like traditionalist, predominantly capitalist, and I roll in as this like anti-capitalist, like anarchist, trans woman who's poly, who's pansexual, who's a pagan, all the Ps. And it's like, well, once I question gender, I started realizing all of culture and society is bullshit. Uh-huh. It's all and now thing. I can tell you the truth. Come to me for the truth of reality. No, it even makes sense in terms of like, you know, 
why why did two trans women make the matrix you're like yeah no it's like it's it is it is the same thing as your your entire nature and basis of reality was severely questioned so yes. you so you're trying to trying to understand these feelings and for you know mid modern days we have like stuff like simulation theory we have the, the matrix um and then you know but before before then you know it would have been taken out in like spiritualism and religion mm -hmm. and you know the different levels of reality on like the whole like mystic side of things as opposed yeah. to like the more sci-fi side of things right um but yeah like it, it's it's all the same stuff like you're you're, <laughs> you're you're playing with the same things um but yeah it is it is just a funny a, f a funny trend that once you once you notice it you'll, you'll start seeing it in in like different places yeah, so we are still mystics who understand the true reality of the world and will force fem you if you don't give us respect. I just don't see what the problem is. I believe that that was my takeaway from Matrix Resurrections. Oh yeah, uh, I mean, one hundred percent. Well, um, is is there is there anything else you would want to you would want to add? Oh my goodness, um, I don't know. Fight for trans people. One of the things that. I end up always having to talk to my students about and colleagues and things is what ally means. Because I, I, I've literally gotten into arguments with people who are like, oh yeah, it's LGBTQIA because A stands a for ally. A stands for ally. And, no, and I'm like, oh, I will knife you. Like, it, I've, doesn't, like it doesn't stand for ally. It stands for right. asexual or- uh, Or aromantic or, or agender. Aromantic or, or agender, yeah. yes. All of, but it's, all, of yeah. all, all of all of all of the other A's. Yes, but it's the it's this thing where um, people think being an ally is just being like like okay with a person existing. The kind of like, well, if it makes you happy, which is like, okay, motherfucker, that's not like that is so belittling of the experience. Um, that's not allyship. To be no. an ally, you have to leverage your privilege by not being a member of that community to protect people in that community. You can be tolerant but not an ally. And that's sort of where the old saying comes from that we, if that's what being an ally is to you, we don't need allies, we need accomplices. Yep. And um, with the current legislative push against trans people, I mean, like literally what I do is like a felony in three states now or almost a felony in three states. Oh, and it's going to be a growing number of states. Yeah, and, and, and it's just so unbelievably depressing. And there aren't enough, I mean, there's a lot of trans and, and non-binary and, and every kind of expression you could want people in this country, way more than, than a lot of surveys suspected. Um, but we're not enough to necessarily fight this in a way that isn't going to end up with increasing violence. I mean, the, the FBI statistics of uh, random violence against like hate crimes specifically has been rising against LGBT people, especially trans people in the last couple of years. And I'm sure it's only um, going to get more in the next few years still with all of the with the wave of stuff happening the past few months. Yeah. So if you're if you're not if you're a cis person and you want to be an ally, you got to fight for us. And if you're a trans person, if you don't have other reasons why you can't, maybe arm yourself uh, in some way at this point. If, I, if, you've, oh, if you feel m mentally if, capable, capable then of doing it's it. not a bad idea to learn how to do yeah. things. It's not a, not a bad idea to get stop the bleed training, not a bad idea yes. to get, you know, emergency first aid training, right? All of, yes. all of, all of the things. Um, Absolutely. Because um, things are things are happening, and they're going to keep happening. Uh, one might say it could happen here. Wow! Um, 
I know. Really, we really, we really pulled just, this together. Just pulled it back. Just, just really encapsulated it. So yeah, I think that does it for us today. Um, do you ha- do you have do you have any uh, pluggables that you would like to uh, plug? <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so if you wanted to talk to me more, you can. Uh, I, I'm on Twitter for now, assuming that Elon Musk doesn't make it entirely unlivable uh, at uh, Vixen Witch, but the W is two V's. I don't post a whole lot, but you can you can find me there. You can also just straight up email me if you had questions. My like work email for that purpose is just victoria.grieve at pit.edu. I'd, ha- I'd be happy to answer any questions that people have. Uh, and it's a robust university uh, firewall. So if I get hate, that, that's fine. It won't get through. Um, the, the And then outside of like my classes and stuff, the only other thing I wanted to plug because you brought it up, uh, I f- I'm a frequent guest on a podcast that a friend of mine hosts called School of Movies, and we actually did Matrix 2, 3, and 4. Nice. Um, and I was on those episodes and talked a lot about the trans narrative therein. Uh, we also did an episode on Priscilla, Queen of the Desert that I'm really proud of. Uh, because I, it's I, great! I was I was lucky enough to watch Priscilla, Queen of the Desert a few a few months ago um, with some queer friends of mine. And with Hugo yes. Weaving in, in, in both of those he things. Is, so he it's is, perfect. He, it, is pretty, it is pretty fun watching Hugo Weaving go from Agent Smith to his character in Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. It's beautiful. Um, it, it's a beautiful metamorphosis. <laughs> it's, it's, it, is, it, it is very good. But yeah, thank you so much for coming on to talk. Yeah, anytime. Thank you for listening to my little two-parter on hormone replacement therapy. If you want to start reading more on the DIY and mutual aid side of things, check out diyhrt.github.io uh, hrt.cafe and diytrans.wiki as a jumping off point, but obviously don't take everything you read on the internet as gospel. I do think it is worth learning how to make your own drugs, possibly, and learning how to source your own estrogen from places that are not just a doctor, because who knows what other states will start criminalizing getting drugs from a doctor, right? It's, it is, there seems to be a trend of making HRT illegal, uh, via the medical system, so this is something definitely to look into, because it seems more and more people will face restrictions in this vein. So yeah, that's a kind of a big reason for why I wanted to talk about this today on the pod. A uh, big extra special thanks to Dr. Victoria, Luna, Brennan Grieve for coming on to talk with me about gender-affirming hormonal treatment. You can check her out or ask her questions on her Twitter, which can be found at VixenWitch, with uh, two Vs for the W in Witch. Uh, or you can email her queries at victoria.grieve at pit.edu. And that does it for us today, everybody. You can follow the show at Happen Here Pod and Cool Zone Media on Twitter and Instagram. And you can look at my late-night gender-hostile tweets at HungryBowtie. See you on the other side. Hey, we'll be back Monday with more episodes every week from now until the heat death of the universe. It Could Happen Here is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find sources for It Could Happen Here updated monthly at coolzonemedia.com slash sources. Thanks for listening. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350 plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.